Hello and welcome to the Weekly Stuff Podcast with Jonathan Lack and Sean Chapman. We are here to talk about stuff this week on the show. We are diving deep with a big review of Doom Eternal. Yes, the, the Doom 2 Hell on Earth as it is titled in my heart. Doom 2 Hell on Earth 2. Yes. 2020. Doom yeah. 2 Hell on Earth, here we go again. <laughs> that would have been fantastic. Yeah. Doom Eternal is like whatever, it's fine title. That would have been a great title. Yes. Um, I was, I will admit, being slightly disappointed that they didn't just call this Doom 2 Hell on Earth mm-hmm. and just keep that going. Yeah. And then they make a game called Doom 3 that's like a proper uncontroversial everyone loves this Doom 3. It's it's they just it's just Doom 3 only you can use the flashlight whenever you want. Yes, exactly. This is the classic Doom 3 joke. I've never even played Doom 3. All I, I know about Doom 3 is that joke. I think that was has been long since patched in. Yes. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, so we're going to talk about Doom Eternal. It's really good. Yeah, it is. Uh, so so that'll be that's our spoiler free review. You can mm. also hear last week we did some spoiler free impressions. We will let you know before there's spoilers. I, I don't really know how you spoil Doom. Shit blows up and you yeah gorify shit. Um, but yeah, Doom Eternal. We'll be talking about that. I'll be talking a little bit more about Animal Crossing New Horizons because I've actually been able to play more than a week of it, which is. You know, last week I played like two days, which in Animal Crossing time is nothing. Yeah. So now I have a real sense of things, and that game is also fantastic. Very different than Doom. Um, although Isabel really, she comes in and she just starts chopping heads off. It's wild. Yeah. The Nintendo just saw all the fan art that people made of the mashup yes. of Doom guy and Isabel. They're like, let's just bring a little bit of that energy into actual Animal Crossing. So if you say the wrong thing to her, she will just disembowel you with a knife in her arm. Well, you know how in, in other games, you know, residents would just kind of move away over time? Mm-hmm. Now you can say, I want this resident gone, and you will get Isabella doing the, the glory kill. Yes. Yeah. yeah. This is just a lot of her, yeah, ripping skulls open, <laughs> chopping people into like five pieces. It's really good. Breaking their arm out of their skin and shoving it through their yes. skull, which is the best glory yeah. kill in Doom Eternal, I it's just very good. Say. Or Or sticking the knife into their eye and then popping it out with like a comical, like... <laughs> Pop sound effect? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Okay, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We will be talking about all of that, a couple of other little things. Uh, we have one piece of video game news this week about something related to Sean's favorite game of all time. That's true. So that'll be cool. Uh, for housekeeping, I just want to remind everyone about the Weekly Stuff Wordcast, which is my weekly newsletter, which you can go to weeklystuff.substack.com. Subscribe for free. Comes to your inbox. Comes a couple times a week. It's It's... Coronavirus threw all of my plans for that yes. off, and I know that is a very minor cost of coronavirus, but um, it's meant, like like right now, we were going to be in the middle of a series on the Daniel Craig Bond films, and I'm like, well, that movie got pushed, not going to do that <laughs> right now, um, so I've had to come up with some other stuff, so this week's actually was really fun, I did kind of impromptu, I wound up redoing my top 10 favorite films of all time, now it's a top 12 list, it's an even dozen and uh, it's in alphabetical order because I'm like, you know what? On the podcast we rank things, but I don't have to rank things here. So we're going to do it alphabetically. And uh, it's it's specifically, it's sort of my version of the list everyone is doing of like, what to stream during coronavirus, which right. I've thought has been kind of a dumb exercise people are doing because it's like, you can find whatever you want. So I'm like, here are my favorite things and here's where to find them. Mostly one of the movies is an obscure Japanese movie that you cannot stream. Here or in Japan, I checked. You can't even do a VPN trick. just doesn't exist. You've got to import it. Um, but And I felt like I, I could have one of those on my list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was fair because I could have done more. But that was that was fun. So that's uh, that was that was this week and, and we'll figure out. Oh, next week's for Wednesday is a fun one. Um, 
I've kind of been planning this before we get the the, the final reveal of who the fighters are going to be. The ten top ten Smash Brothers characters I want in the next mm-hmm. round of Smash Brothers DLC. So that'll be our Wednesday column on Wednesday, April first, uh, and it should be a fun one. Awesome. So, yeah, yeah. So that's just the housekeeping stuff. Last week we had part two of our Evangelion talk. So if you want to go over to, it's either in the weekly stuff feed or if you just want the conversations on their own over on Weekly Suit Gundam. We have two parts on Evangelion, so that's all done. And next week we're going to be going back into the Gundam trenches with Mobile Fighter G Gundam. Fuck yeah! So lots of fun stuff coming up. But Sean, I, I think our stuff portion of the show has transformed into our coronavirus lockdown check-in. Yeah, because I mean, my the other stuff I've done is literally only playing Doom Eternal and watching Mobile Fighter G Gundam is basically the only things I've done last week other than like frantically trying to prepare for what the fuck teaching looks like. So let's um, update the people yeah. on the state of the world. Um, so we live in Colorado. This week, the governor, Jared Polis of Colorado, did initiate a statewide lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we are legally mandated to be in our homes. You and I live like a block away, so I think this is okay. Um, But other than that, you know, uh, go to the grocery store if you need to. Be careful. I sanitize everything. I did read an article that I do not have to be sanitizing the food itself, but I have been doing that on the boxes. Just, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Sure. Why not? Can can I tell you my fun fun story, though? My fun $120 mistake? Okay, yes. Yeah, Yeah. so, so, okay. So I've been doing the grocery shopping for my family because I they are old and I don't want them going out. Yeah. Um, and Same I've been, with me, yeah. Yeah. Um, my, my stepdad is a shut-in, and that's great. It's been very easy. My mom keeps saying things like, that could be fun just to get out of the house. And I'm like, no, just to get out of the house is not an excuse. If you want to walk the dogs just to get out of the house, that's great. Mm-hmm. If you want to go to an obscure market in downtown Denver you just heard about, no, no. I will lock you to your door because I don't want you to die, mom. <laughs> So anyway, I think it's good I'm here to take care of them. (laughs) But anyway, so I go and I, you know, I have my little routine. I have a box of the hand sanitizing wipes. And when I use, I have, I have gloves. I wipe down the cart, um, you know, buy everything. If I have contactless credit cards, luckily, which has been very nice because I don't, they don't have to touch anyone else. Mm -hmm. Um, But if I have to scan them, I've been hand, you know, sanitizing those down, that sort of thing. Um, They have hand sanitizing stations at our local grocery store on the way out, which is great. Because before they put those out, what I was doing was dropping my food off in my car, running back in, washing my hands, and then coming back out. Because I don't have any hand sanitizer because you can't fucking buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, and then I've also been sanitizing my phone because my phone is where I had my grocery list on. And I was touching it and I didn't, yeah. yeah. So, but I also realized this week, so I, I have the Apple AirPods headphones. And I love those. So, like, my favorite, there's one of my favorite things because it's just, they're very easy. They're the kind of headphones I like. The, the absolute bane of my fucking existence because every fucking 14 year old has them and they're just a massive pain in the ass. But yeah, continue. I'm so sorry, Sean. Yeah, they're the worst. I, I hate you, Apple. I, I hate th- you and everything you stand for. <laughs> I think I use them responsibly, but. Sure. I don't. Do people, do kids really just use them in class? Oh, it's an endless, constant, it's the worst. Because, we're, yeah. We're one day, Sean, going to have to have a conversation about this because. I don't, I don't remember about you, but I know, like, I did not own a smartphone in high school. No, well, I got my first iPhone. It was like a graduation gift. Me too. From graduating high school, yeah. So, like, so you and I, and I feel like we're probably the oldest you can be and still say that, right? Yes, yeah. And, or youngest, or whatever I mean. And so, like, because I just, we don't, we do not have the experience quite of, like, what high school is like with smartphones and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I would be fascinated. I feel like it's more than we can talk about today. But I want to hear your rant on that sure, at some point. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. anyway, um, what was I saying? So my AirPods, though, I had been wearing them in the store while I was listening to stuff while I was shopping. 
to, to keep the anxiety down. <laughs> and, um, and so I was like, oh, you know what? I was touching these. I should just quickly, and I just wiped them with my hand, sanitizing wipe mm-hmm. a little bit. And the left one died. Yeah, that makes sense. Just completely dead. I should have thought about that. Yeah. I didn't. They're, they're like water resistant. I don't know why. So I don't know. I'm not a I scientist. Mean, you know, it's not, you're, it's not water. It's That's not true. what you're That's putting true. in there. It's alcohol, yeah. isn't it? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. It's not exactly supposed to withstand you just sort of directly disinfecting it. Yeah. Uh, luckily, that same day, Amazon happened to have a $40 discount on the AirPods, so I just bought new ones. I needed to anyway. Mine I'd, I've owned for like three years, and they are so they were so close to being dead anyway. Like the battery was mm-hmm. just so shot in those things. So not the worst thing in the world, but that's uh, that's that's an example of where you can, in fact, be too cautious. Or just stupid. Yes, yeah. I feel like you have to be doing something really wrong with those AirPods for you to get coronavirus from them. You need to you That's need to point. like really be like rubbing a weird part of it and sticking it in your ear after you've like been touching bad I stuff. I just they say don't touch your, your, your mouth, nose, ear. Yes. You don't want to touch any cavity, but you also again like you, the AirPods shouldn't be in contact and like the part that goes into your ear with anything. It's a good point. It's a good point. Anyway, I've, I mean, I don't so, know what you what you get up to with your AirPods is your business. Like, I'm I have, not telling you that you. Did, I don't know. I don't know what you do with your AirPods. I have I have paid for my mistakes to yeah. the tune of about one hundred and thirty dollars. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah. So so I don't know. And I've been. I really haven't had to prepare a ton for next week when we go back to so so my campus. We're going back to digital campus next week. Mm-hmm. I haven't had a ton to prepare because I'm a teaching assistant, so like those decisions are a little bit above my pay grade. Um, but I did have to like kind of hound my my professor, be like, "So what is the procedure we're doing? Because uh-huh. if we need to all be on the same page, we finally got all on the same page. That's good." Um, I, I think, yeah, I think everything seems fine. I had to do one paper proposal, and so I finally had to do some actual work, and so that was weird. But yeah. Um, it's been a weird time. I just, I'm so unsure of what this is all going to look like next week. Yeah. Um, and you have it 100 times worse than me. So how has your prep been going? It's weird because it's like, I wish that we had, because I mean, so like we do have basically they're having, giving us like Mondays each week as a like prep day, basically. That's Um, nice. But I do wish that there was like a little bit more of a, once it became clear that this is going to be like a longer thing, like maybe... Instead of having this like, well, I guess, you know, you're on spring break, but maybe you'd spend that spring break where like it would have been better probably to say like, okay, we're going to take a half week when we get back after spring break. Yeah. So that way you don't feel pressured to do work on spring break because I needed the spring break anyways as a break period. If the rest of the shit wasn't happening, teaching is already stressful enough that you need the break periods. Um, Yeah. So it's, you know, it's that thing of like, you can't. I have not been trying to do too much because I feel like you can't prepare. If you like, I feel like I would over prepare stuff and underuse it, right. or or be in a situation where it wouldn't make sense to use. Because one of the hardest things to prep for is this like lack of understanding what other teachers are going to do. Because since there's no standards and no like, this is not a thing that the public school system has ever had to do before. Nobody, no, there's there's no sort of like standard rules for what's going on. So it's that sense of like, I don't want to give them too much because I have no idea how much other teachers are giving them to do. And since the day isn't structured as clearly, there's a certain limit, you know, maybe, you know, some AP teachers, you know, ignore this limit on terms of like homework stuff. 
But generally speaking, there's a limit to how much a student is going to be asked to do in a day of schoolwork that when it's all digital, those boundaries become much more mutable. And it's like trying to remind myself that it's like, I need to make sure that in my head, this is like an hour's worth of work. This is not something that like, just because they're not sitting in front of me for that like hour of class period, doesn't mean it gives you this opportunity to like pile more stuff on top of them. You should like be scaling back. And so it's like trying to figure out that balance with no feedback, no like strong like systems with which to gauge you how well you're doing. I was just thinking like you can't just like walk down the hall to like the math teacher and be like, what are you giving them today? Is this, does this work or something yeah, like that? Yeah, and you can't, and, and it's like much harder to get immediate feedback from the students because they're not, yeah. you have to like rely on emails or messages on Google Classroom instead of just being like, hey, does this make sense? Like, hey, are you doing your work? Hey, like all those kinds of like normal kind of like classroom management stuff just doesn't exist. Do they all have their AirPods in or are they listening yeah. to you intently? Do you have access to the internet at like these times of day? Do you have access to a device that can get on the internet? Like all those kinds of things. It's like, fuck, I don't know. That makes That's one thing that makes me really sad and uneasy about it on some level is is the technology. You know, I, yeah. I think we have a natural expectation everyone has something, but obviously not everyone does, especially in a public school system. Yeah. So, um, yeah, again, hats off to you and all your, your colleagues for doing the hard work. Thank you, because it's, it's weird. Because it's so also, weird. the kids are going to fucking need it. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's... it's um, because, because they did just get an email from admin earlier today that was just like a... It was a nice, like, kind of reinforcing what my perspective on it was which was them saying like make sure you're not giving them too much like you know dial it back from what you'd normally expect because for like all the obvious reasons to do that and like admins saying that maybe like you know because i've talked to some of my coworkers and colleagues and and they've had slightly different perspectives and i've been like i don't think that's the right approach and then having admins say like this is kind of the broad guidelines the the sort of idea that we have because they obviously don't have anything well constructed for it because it's utterly unprecedented in our public schooling system um at least in like the modern era of education in america so it's like this is sort of what we're expecting and then there was like a and everyone's going to have your department meetings on zoom um tomorrow for, for monday for us um and it was in you know, looking at like the department meeting guidelines and just being like i it's there's so much to talk about that like asking us to like like do like what are the main topics you want to hit in your department he's like i don't fucking know man <laughs> like there's there's two everything and nothing I don't know. If Back to the Future Two was made today and they did the thing where like Marty wants to do a scheme to like like bet on stuff and like make money, it would be going back three months from now and buying stock in Zoom. Yes, right. Yeah, he would do that and like, but he would leave the note and then Biff would buy stocks in Zoom and the world wouldn't really get any worse because he's just Donald Trump. Yeah, or or like you just I don't know if there's like the the main hand sanitizer company, but yeah, investing a lot into them. Purell. Yeah, it's into Purell. Like that's that's probably what <laughs> would have been a smart business move. Whoever makes toilet paper, they're yeah. they're they're getting. I mean, it's going to go back down, but like they're definitely getting goosed right now. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah, it's it's wild, Sean. How how do you um, replace hitting kids on the knuckles with rulers digitally? Um, I just um, hack into their computers and, you know, I just like, I hack into their school email accounts because some of them I legitimately could do that because it's, yeah. And then I just, from that, I'm, I don't know, I send some sort of like, like a link to like some weird like porn or something to their parents, you know, yeah. like there's lots of things I could do. 
You know, I could honestly wreck way more havoc digitally than I could physically in the classroom. So that's true. Um, boy, I hope this doesn't come back to bite you. <laughs> I mean, the the advantage is that like their ability to annoy me is significantly lessened digitally than it is physically. That's very true. So there's there's far less temptation to do anything untoward. Um, Can I tell one yeah. story of a bureaucratic kind of clusterfuck on our end? Sure. Yeah. Go ahead. So. One thing that looked like kind of a silver lining for us grad students is for God knows. So, so to back up, you know, most of the classes you take as a grad student are what's called seminar classes, which is like you and up to 15 other people in a room, hopefully around some kind of circular table because it's discussion based. It's yeah. fully, you know, the teacher is more like a, a leader of a discussion in that mm-hmm. sense. Right. And um, at most schools, the way you do seminars for grad students is they're once a week. They're about three hours long. You do the readings over the course of the week. You come and you have one big discussion. For some reason, there's one department at the University of Iowa that is not allowed to do that. And it's the Department of Cinematic Arts. And what do you so mean they're, they're not allowed to do that? It's like the way um, space in the building we use, okay. they won't let them block three-hour blocks for okay. classes. The, the, so, I, like in my head, it was just there's some like stuffy person just being like, we will, like cinematic arts is not proper academia. They will never be allowed to have proper seminars. We also can't use the, uh, the really nice like million-dollar screening room for film screenings. What do they use it for? Clubs. It's honestly, it's the most baffling thing. We're all confused by it, and that I'm, I'm including all the like cinema admin people. We're all uh-huh. confused by it. Anyway, so so we so usually our seminars are done twice a week for an hour and fifteen minutes, which is just never enough time. It's just always bad. Um, and so we were like, oh well, if we're doing it digitally, we could just do it that way. We could do our like two and a half hour Zoom session once a week, and that makes it easier for everyone. And then, and so people were talking about that. And then we got an email from like the, the dean of the whole college saying like, just remember, you can't hold Zoom meetings outside of the scheduled class times for physical classes. What? I don't know why, but we can't do it. So the workaround is like, we'll just do our class times during our normal screening times because those are blocked for two and a half hours. Yeah, and you can watch movies whenever the fuck you want. Exactly. Yeah. So like, that's kind of how we're doing it. But it's just like, but that means that we're having our Zoom meetings at 730 at night. It's so weird. It's yeah. so. What does that rule? I, I I could get it. I guess for some undergrad stuff, but like the whole point of grad school is you take the fucking gloves off, right? Come on. Yeah, I mean it's just one of those things <laughs> of like there are like the rules and structures that are put into place to mandate physical learning are do not apply to digital learning, but. When that's what you're literally doing, like, so it's like, you know, for us, we like literally have to have school days that last a certain amount of time. Like, we literally have to have school days it's that long. from seven to three. Yeah. Um, and you have to have a certain number of like hours of learning for it to count. Um, you have to have like certain like laws around and like guidelines around attendance and things like that that don't make sense in a digital format. So you just have to sort of fake it. Um, and but yeah, but some of them are ones where you're like, I don't know if this is a thing that like it actually has to be this way because of like weird, you know, the ways that the rules are being applied to a situation that shouldn't apply to them, um, or if it's just you're the person telling you this is someone who has not thought through the actual like potentialities of remote learning, which is like you do they don't need to all log in at 11 o'clock or whatever for my fifth hour class like they can log in whenever they want on tuesday and i'm fine with them as long as they're doing the work like that kind of stuff it's like 
how much is it, this is the rules that you're trying to sort of force on there and how much of it is that like you haven't thought about actually what like the teaching scenario is in this sort of structure yeah well, it'll be fascinating. I think we will have a fun segment next week. Now, when we're both yeah, back once I have trenches. yeah, like proper like a week of remote learning. That's not the like triage week, which is what <laughs> the one before spring break was. Which is like like I was pretty sure that it was going to get extended, but since it wasn't officially extended, I couldn't I couldn't like set things in motion that were like. And this is for, for like the next month. These are the things are like I couldn't say that because. Yeah. I would have gotten in big trouble if I said that. Right. <laughs> so it's like now it's like, oh, this is like for the real deal, actual, like full thing now. It's wild. I, I, I really just want to hear if your students do find new ways to annoy you digitally. Uh, a couple have. Um, okay. yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, I, I said less. I didn't say it was zero. Someday we're going to have to have you tell a positive experience story about teaching because I am sure the picture people have just from listening to this podcast is that you are gruff. Like, you are like Ron Swanson in school, just, like, trying to, like, whittle your wooden rec- recorder and people just annoying the shit out of you. You know, it's like, I, like, teaching is great, I love the job, but you, but it's not the movie scenario of you, like, coming in and it's, like, all these kids that hate you and then you have this one lesson that transforms everything and everyone's like, no, Mr. Chapman, we, like, that's just not reality, right? Like, that doesn't happen. Like, you'll have that kind of relationship with some of your students, but generally speaking, it's not the, like, you change the world. So no one has stood on their desks and said, oh, Captain, my captain, to you? Exactly, yeah. The Dead Poet Society, I already didn't love that movie that much, but I'm sure if I watched it now, I'd fucking hate it. <laughs> you would just throw your remote at this. Like, this is bullshit. It doesn't work like this. It's like when a doctor watches Grey's Anatomy. Exactly, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, so you want to do a little bit of news? Yeah, what's happening in the news? Uh... Well, this week, or this year, is the 10th anniversary of a little video game called Nier. Yes, the original Nier. Which, not very well known, but it did lead to... But, it, I mean, kind of a cult hit. Did lead to the eventual sequel, Nier Automata, which is your favorite game of all time. Yes, it is. And uh, many people's. It's obviously a big hit. Um, and for that 10th anniversary, they're doing a couple of fun things. The funnest of which is there will be a remake of that original Nier mm-hmm. for the PS4, Xbox One, and PC... They put out a one-minute reveal trailer. It's very Nier-esque. Uh-huh. Uh, and it is called... The, the remake is called Nier Replicant version 1.22474487139. You know, they patched Nier a lot. So it's it's just the very detailed um, version number. Yeah, it's a very Yoko Taro thing. Um, like, one thing that's interesting about this... So, like, thinking about the title. So it's Nier Replicant. That's an important... That's a more important detail than I think people who don't know anything about this game would think. Because there are actually two different versions of the original Nier. Of there's, course there are. There's Nier Replicant and there's Nier Gestalt. Nier Replicant was the version that came out in Japan and I think a couple of other territories. Where the main character Nier is the older brother of some like little sister character that he has to protect. And it's like a big part of the story. And so that's like a younger sort of Bishonen looking Nier character. Um, which is if, you know, I'm describing him as like this young Bishonen type character and, and American listeners are like, I've maybe never played Nier, but I saw footage of Nier. That's not what Nier looks like. You saw Nier Gestalt, which was the version that came out in North America where the main character Nier was redesigned um, and aged up to be the little sister character's father instead. And he's like big buff guy Nier. Um, and the the idea specifically was that that character redesign would appeal more to North American audiences because we're not into 
um, be shonen stuff, we're into big, meaty muscle heads, which I'm not really going to disagree with that assessment. Well, especially that would have been like the trenches of the Gears of War. Days. Oh yes, yeah, because this is yeah, because it would have been in 2010. Yeah, so it's yeah, lots of Gears of War, lots of Unreal Engine three games with big, beefy dudes like Arkham yes. Asylum and stuff like that. So, so that's. So we are getting the version, the original version that came out in Japan, which I guess is what you would call like the quote-unquote original version. Um, and so we're getting the replicant version, which I think is the first time that version has ever come out in North America, um, which is interesting. Like, I kind of wish, since it's a remaster, that they would just give you both versions. I'm sure that that's like a lot of work, um, but it would be cool to have both the replicas because it's not just the character model obviously there's like dialogue changes and things like that that go along with it as well it, I mean it, we, we know very little about it so yes. so there's not even a I, I originally wrote this down as like for 2020 there's no for 2020 this is just uh -huh. this is coming so maybe it'll be DLC later on that sure. could be kind of yeah. interesting gestalt mode they could just you could activate that from the main menu and then play a new game yeah. from that dad mode dad that'd be great um, but yeah I mean Yoko Taro is working on it um, so that's fun because you haven't played this, right? No, yeah. Okay. I mean, it's it's yeah. I, by the time I was interested in near the idea of like playing that game on a, like a 360 was silly. Yeah, but I'm I'm definitely excited it's coming out because that'll be at the very least we'll get another near podcast out of it. Yeah, I'm that. very curious. Like I I'm I'm curious to see whether or not the narrative elements of that game are going to overcome what I understand are like pretty huge gameplay deficits. Yeah. Um. Like I'm very fascinated by the idea of playing that game. Well, and who knows how they're going to polish it, and if, yeah. it's, if it's a remake remake, or if it's more of a, a remaster, or we'll see. Yeah, because, yeah, we only have that, like, one-minute teaser yeah. thing to look at. Which I would recommend. It is very... If you've just been needing, like, one minute of a near fix of, like, the kind of Yoko Taro dialogue coming over the screen, I was uh -huh. like, oh, that's very nice. Um, they also announced a mobile game called Near Reincarnation. Also got a little trailer. Very few details on this as well. Also very much like in the near style, but we don't know what kind of mobile game it's going to be. Um, I hope it's a gotcha game, but all you get are like 2Bs and 9Ss. It's just like, here's here's the 7,000th different 2B. That's like, it's the same character model, just like slightly different character portrait or something. I think it would be, I think in, in fitting with the end of Nier Automata, the video game, it should be like a redistribution of wealth game where like if you get if you get hooked on it and you start like giving lots of money to it it like gives it to different sh like yes. other players or different share i don't know how it does it but it just takes money and puts it yeah, elsewhere yeah it's a game that that is zero profit yeah. It's, yeah it's just it, yeah redistributes um the money where yes. it needs to go um and also, Xbox announced today in tandem with all this that Nier Automata, specifically the Game of the Yorha edition, which has all the DLC and stuff, that's coming to Xbox Game Pass um, this Friday, April 3rd. So if you haven't played it and you have an Xbox, you now officially have no excuse, because yes. there it is. Um, and hell, I am stuck in Colorado here at home with the Xbox as my only home console. Um, well, I have my Switch too, which is a hybrid, I guess. Um, and maybe I want to play Nier Automata again, and there it'll be. And I've never played the DLC. So, which you told the whole story about. Yeah, like, I'm not going to tell you the DLC is good. <laughs> I was very entertained by it, though. And uh, definitely... At the very least, the music video they play at the end of the DLC is fucking amazing. If, yeah. if you don't want to go through all, like, the combat trial stuff, that fucking music video is... I still have nightmares about it. But, Sean, it, I, I swear to God, the, last month they added Yakuza 0. This month they're adding Nier Automata. They are trying to get you to endorse Xbox Game Pass. Yeah. This, but they're all games I've already played. So I know. No, I mean endorse oh, to other say, people. Yeah. I mean, hey, you should play Yakuza 0. You should play Nier Automata. Yeah. Like, hey, However you can get them. Yeah. But, yes, anyway, I just think it's funny that it's like one game from Sean's top ten. Yeah, it's a Sean Chapman approved Game Pass list. <laughs> yes. Um, anywho, so that's really the only news. I mean... 
all other entertainment news is pretty much shut down right now. Obviously, that's it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because they did have that Nintendo Direct mini Direct thing. Which they did. I didn't watch any of that. So I, I guess I should just come out of that. Uh, nothing huge. It was it was mostly some stuff like follow ups on things we already knew. So like Xenoblade Chronicles Remastered is coming uh, May 29th. Um, but we already knew that was coming. We just didn't know when. So, and they confirmed it's going to have a new playable epilogue. So, for Xenoblade fans, that'll be there. Um, I might have to. I that might it coming to Switch might make me finally play the original Xenoblade Chronicles because it's been recommended to me several times. Um, most compellingly, one of our listeners informed me that you know because Xenoblade has that weird old British dub, uh-huh. uh, Clara from Doctor Who is one of the main characters in it. I did know that at one point. Yeah, so that kind of like that's that makes me want to play it a little bit. But anyway, so that's coming at the end of May. Um, they had a lot of ports announced, so um, the Bioshock collection, Bioshock, Bioshock Two, Bioshock Infinite, all coming. Borderlands, the Handsome collection, I think it is all the yeah, which is like one, two, and the pre sequel. Yes, yeah. so everything but Borderlands. Lands 3 there was one other package um let's see what else uh they announced this one i am excited for and i actually have pre-ordered uh is catherine the atlas game yeah the catherine full body remake version that came out for ps4 last year is coming to switch this june and if you pre-order you get a sheep keychain which oh, i like nice. so there's that um what else did they announce oh they announced a couple more star wars games coming so star so star wars jedi knight jedi academy is out now on Switch. Yes. Yeah. Which one and, is that? And like PS4 and stuff. So yeah. that's the sequel to Jedi Knight to Jedi Outcast. Okay. So that's the one where you create your own character who is like a Padawan to Kyle Katarn, who was the main character of the previous games. Okay. So it's the it is the the latest Jedi Knight game okay. which came out in like 2005. And is so what was the first Jedi Knight called? Dark Forces. So it's Star Wars Dark Forces. Star Wars Dark Forces 2, Jedi Knight. Star Wars Jedi Knight 2, Jedi Outcast. Star Wars Jedi Knight, Jedi Academy. Which ones are on consoles now? Jedi Knight 2, Jedi Outcast, and Jedi Academy are on consoles. The Dark Forces games are not. Okay. Um, but they also announced that Star Wars Episode 1 Pod Racer, the, the racer <laughs> game from the N64, is coming to Switch, and I'm sure PS4 as well. I am excited for that. That is a game I definitely rented for the N64 back in the day. I don't think I ever owned it. But it is, it's like Star Wars Mario Kart, kind of, but with yeah. pod racing. Uh, if, you know, assuming that's the same price point, which is like less than $10, I will 100% buy that. And I hope they have online play. because I'm th- sure that game holds up really well. It probably doesn't, but that's, that's going to be fun. Anyway, that was a surprise announcement. So yeah, it was a lot of little things. Um, I think it was a lot of things that will appeal to different sects of the Switch audience, but no, no one major thing that everyone would be excited about. Which mm-hmm. is why they called it a mini direct and not a... Yeah. So that, yeah. that makes sense because I just feel like that happened and I was like, oh, cool. And then I yeah. just didn't see any announcements from it. I was like, okay. I would imagine if like if, if you own a Switch and you drill down on the list, you will find something to be excited for. Um, you know, like I don't feel the need to buy Bioshock on the Switch. Um, one, I, the first-person shooters don't really play well on the Switch. It, they don't play well portably. And if they don't play well portably, there's no reason to own it on Switch. Um, but I'm sure there's someone who would love to play Bioshock on Switch. Sure. There you go. And it's cool it's happening. I mean, God, Bioshock Infinite was like such a technical marvel back in the day. It's just crazy to think that can be on Switch now. Yeah, it, it makes me remember the, the oft-promised and never-delivered Bioshock on the PS Vita. Oh, They're God, yeah. That game to the Vita and it just never happened. That was, that was a thing. Yep. All right, so that's the Nintendo news. That's the near news. Do you want to move on to talk about some video games? 
Let's talk about some video games, Jonathan. All right, let's start with the, the kind of spoiler-free portion. Um, I want to talk about one extra game I've been playing beyond Animal Crossing and Doom. Okay. Which is when I finished Doom, and I was playing Animal Crossing, I realized Animal Crossing is not a... The Animal Crossing is never like the one game you play, right? Because uh-huh. a little bit, you come in every day, but you're not going to like sit down for the evening and play Animal Crossing. Right. I guess you could, but it would be a little boring <laughs> night after night to do it that way. Um, so I had, last week, Xbox had a big sale on the Resident Evil series. So I grabbed a couple of those. I actually put out the call on Twitter because I'm like, what is the first one? Is it Resident it's Evil or Resident, Resident Evil, Evil Zero or, or what? Because like, I was yeah, confused. Yeah, because it's Resident Evil. Then they did the remake of Resident Evil. Around the time they did that, they made Resident Evil Zero, right. which is the prequel. Yes, and those are now out in HD on consoles. So, yes. so basically on most consoles you can get all the numbered Resident Evil games and a lot of the non-numbered ones yes. too. So anyway, I wound up buying, um, and this cost me like 30 bucks total, Resident Evil Remake 1... Resident Evil 2, the one from last year, and then Resident Evil 4. Um, and Have you never played Resident Evil 4? I've, I've never finished it. Okay. I've definitely played around in it. Um, I've gotten... I mean, I know the whole like Eastern European setting. I remember yeah. you get to like, a bridge and shit. It's Resident Evil 4. Don't know if you've heard this. It's a very good video game. I'm excited to get to it. So, <laughs> so I started... Um, before Doom came out, I did boot up Resident Evil 1. And that remake is still... So that is the... GameCube remake yes. of the original that has just been put out in HD, basically. Mm-hmm. And so it is still the old-style fixed camera angles and tank controls. Mm-hmm. I could not play that game. Although I think in the HD version, I think you can toggle on like modern control styles. Like I probably okay. still wouldn't because that game is designed to be played with tank controls. Right. But because of the fixed camera angle, I think it just works better that way. Because I, yeah. I played Resident Evil Remake... Fucking forever ago because yeah. I played that on the GameCube, okay. the, like much after it came out. Um, because I kind of like went back and checked it out at some point. Yeah, I probably played an hour of it and I had a really hard time getting into it. It, it might just be like because I've never played a game like that mm-hmm. with the fixed camera angles. It might just be too old for me. I don't. I don't want to dismiss it. Maybe I'll go back to it. Because I will say it is really fucking good. Okay. I think. I think. I think you should give it another shot. Okay. Like kind of knowing better what it is because if you only played an hour. I don't think you got into because that means you never ran into any like the Crimson Head zombies and like that that game does some fucked up shit. Okay, that's great. And maybe after playing some of the later ones and knowing like how the puzzles and navigation work, I'll yeah. I'll be better equipped for it. Because I wound up this week, I just jumped into two because the three remake is coming out next week. Right. So I'll probably play that. Um. So and Resident Evil two, like you don't need to know anything from Resident Evil one for it. It's, no, you, the, the zombies happened. You're yeah. In Raccoon City. Well, because especially because Resident Evil two is a separate set of characters, like. A few months later, and it's... I mean, Claire Redfield is Chris's brother, but basically all you need to know yeah. is, like, Chris went into the mansion, and weird shit happened. Yes. And now Claire's looking for him. And there's there's a dude named Wesker. Yes. I think he's in two. I don't remember. I, I haven't played the remake of Resident Evil 2. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the remake of Resident Evil 2 is fucking incredible. Yeah. I, I own it. I've just never gotten around to playing it. I intended to play it last October, and then, the, like, yeah. every other video game came out. It's like, well, shit. So I've played about... Four hours of it now, so I'm about halfway through. Like the first, it's it's two campaigns. Like most of these games, it's Claire and it's Leon. And I started with the Claire route, and I'm like four hours into that, so I'm probably about halfway through it. Mm-hmm. And then I'll have to do the Leon one after that. Um, but good God, it is phenomenal, Sean. I like was because again, I have never like super played the, the one I've played the most by far is Resident Evil Four. Because I, I think I had that one on the Wii, and I know I played a good sure, amount when yeah. they did the Wii version, which is basically the PS2 version, but with motion controls, kind of like Metroid Prime. Um, and it was very good, but Resident Evil 4 also is a fairly different, you know... Because that one doesn't even... Does that one have zombies, or is it more like... Um, they're like... 
they're not called zombies. They're like the Las Plagas, but yeah. they're they're basically right. zombies. And then, but then, like as with any Resident Evil game, it starts out with like zombies, and then at, by the end, it's like weird tentacle like centipede yes. monsters and shit like that. Yeah. So anyway, but Resident Evil Four is a little different uh, in setting and everything because yeah. like Resident Evil Four, you're outside, right? Because Resident Evil Four is also like way more actiony. Like it's yeah. it doesn't like it has like a survival horror tone to it, but it doesn't have like anything that's actually that scary in it yeah i mean that's the game that like halfway through you like fight this weird little like napoleon like immortal napoleon dude who has like a castle with like a giant statue and boulders that try to run you over and shit like well, that, that sounds is, great it's great it gets very wacky in a way yeah. that i love that game's awesome well resident evil 2 also gets very wacky and resident evil 2 is utterly fucking terrifying um you know i don't know if the like original ps1 version would be if you went back and played it but this remake which is a proper remake like we throw the word remake around a lot Usually we mean remaster or port. Yeah. This is a full-on, obviously, from-the-ground-up remake. Yeah, like, it's a third-person style game. Like, it's not fixed-camera angles, none of that. No. Yeah, it's a totally modern game. Yeah, but it's... But with, you know, like, the very 90s design element, like, good 90s design elements we don't get as much anymore. Um, And it's, like, it's so good. I guess because Resident Evil is such a big, sprawling series, I never really had a sense of what exactly it was. Mm -hmm. And so it's been really fun to drill down and, like... Oh, this is kind of, it's, it's survival horror, it's got a little Metroidvania in it, because it's this big, you know, in this one you're in the police station, and like, there's locked doors, and you come back and you find the keys, and all yeah, this stuff. Yeah, you get like, weird, like, here's like, the scorpion key, and shit like that. On in Resident Evil 2, it's all the like, uh, cards, it's like, here's the heart, here's the diamond, here's yes. the spade. Um, it's, you know, you solve puzzles, you do, you'll, you'll find a note about like, a combination, and you'll go do the combination in a safe. It's so good, Sean. Like, I don't remember the last time I just, like, sat down with a fresh game and was, like, like planning to, like, check it out and then uh-huh. played two hours, you know? And then another two later at night. And I, I really need to, like, take a picture of the space I'm playing games in right now and share it because it's the perfect space to be fucking spooked out by this game. Because basically, I, I was not planning on being in Colorado as long as I was. Yeah. I have a little makeshift space in our unfinished basement. Um, amid a bunch of boxes where I've shoved like an old couch and a TV on top of a filing cabinet. Nice. And uh, and the only light is like, which I keep off if I'm playing a very dark game like Resident Evil, is like, you know, one of those ones where you like, you know, have to pull a string. Uh-huh. And so it's very good for Resident Evil. Yeah, um, you're like, basically if... You know, we all just sort of like, you know, somehow like die like like weird immediate deaths from coronavirus goes bad. And then like 2,000 yes. years in the future, those like post-apocalyptic humans are exploring the environment. You're already set up for like that fallout. Like there's a skeleton sitting here in the couch with like a <laughs> note scrawled next to you that's like June 1st, 2020. <laughs> it's happening again. <laughs> like I'm here playing Resident Evil 2. And uh, it is Resident Evil Two is objectively a weird game to be playing right now because it is about but but it's it's cathartic because you know with the coronavirus you don't get to just go out and shoot shit yeah in a cool leather jacket which you do in in Resident Evil Two but it's it's Sean it is such a good game I can't recommend it highly enough I can't wait to get back and play it I am totally hooked and uh, about two hours into the game you meet the the tyrant of this game Mister X yeah and Mr. he is X. the scariest motherfucker. It's this moment... This is, The game's been out for a year. I feel like I could spoil this. The game... I mean, it, the game's been out for a year, and it is a remake of a game from the 90s yes. that had Mr. X in it. Like, I know they yes. expanded the Mr. X stuff, but he's yeah. in that old game. But where you meet Mr. X in this one is there's this whole part where you're going around... The one thing Resident Evil 2 is, like, uncannily good at 
is getting you to do what the game wants you to do without realizing you're being guided. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to describe it, but there's a lot of stuff where I feel like I'm exploring and going off the beaten path and I'm not sure if I'm going the right way. And then a major event will happen in such a way that I'm like, they totally wanted me to go here. And I don't, I can't even tell you how I was guided there. That's like masterful game design, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but there's this one part where you kind of get out on the roof and there had been this helicopter crash and there's this helicopter that's in the middle of this hallway and you can't get through the hallway because the helicopter's like fallen through it and it's on fire and you do this little puzzle and you get water to fall on the helicopter now the helicopter's not on fire so you can go through it and when you go back through and it's not on fire anymore Mr. X comes around the hall for the first time and he's this giant you know dude with like blue skin and a hat and I and immediately I just instinctively like fire and I shoot his hat off and I get an achievement that says Mr. Hat because I shot his hat off and I'm like and that's how I met this dude and then for the rest of the fucking game, you kind of have to play this game with headphones because it's old, it's very terrifying because you can just hear his heavy footsteps around you and you know like, okay, he's coming from that way. I got to go through this door because I'm going to meet Mr. X. Fuck, that game is scary. It is so good. Um, I'm playing the, the Claire route, like I said. I really like the characters and everything. I know some people were disappointed because they had to recast the roles because this game came out during the actor's strike. Yeah. Um, but I have no pre-existing association with these characters. And I, I feel like the voice acting is very good. I know it's probably not what some fans were used to. Because it's different voices. But it's very good for my ears. Um, it's a beautiful game. It's like just graphically gorgeous. Um, uh, gorgeous is probably the wrong word. It's a gnarly ass game. But yeah, it's like just very graphically. It's a very gorgeous like dilapidated police station with like mutilated corpses in it oh yeah and like it is gory as hell like one of the first things that happens is you get into the police station and you're trying to help this officer who's trying to crawl in under you know one of the like gates Mm -hmm. and you're pulling on him pulling on him and then someone starts eating him and you pull in just the lower half of his body with the entrails spewing out nice god this game is it's so good sean and i'll probably just i'll finish this and then resident evil 3 comes out on friday i think i'll probably pick that up um, and then I'll probably play four after that, and then maybe I'll loop back around to one um, at some point. Yes. Probably not yeah. play five and six. Yeah. Like, five is okay. I I played Resident Evil 5 co-op, and I think that's probably the best way to play that game. Because um, I think playing that game solo probably is not great. Yeah. And then six, I have only ever heard bad things about. I want to play seven at some point. I do, too. I, I, I own it. Like, I own Resident Evil 7. I own Resident Evil 2 Remake. The problem is that, like, I want to play those games at the right time. Yeah. But the right time to play a horror game is also the time when every other fucking video game comes out. So it's like in October is when I'm like, yeah, I'm in the mood to play Resident Evil 2 Remake. And then, you know, some massive game comes out. It's like, oh, shit. Just at some point make time because it is yeah. really that good. And it would have 100% been on my top 10 in the last year if, if I had played it. Um, so great fucking game. Yeah. People should also look up videos, if you've not seen them yet, of the PC version that someone modded in. They made a PC mod that um, has positional audio on Mr. X that is just X going to give it to you playing. So it's like, so instead of it just being his footsteps, you just hear, X going to give it to you. And it's just like somewhere in the environment. It's really fucking funny. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So if you have the PC version of that game, that's probably not a first playthrough thing, but absolutely on a second playthrough, go find that X going to give it to you mod because it's so fucking funny. I mean, God, last night I'm trying to solve this puzzle with like gears and a clock tower and I hear him coming around and then I'll just like crouch and stay quiet. And I'll hear, and then they back up a little bit. And yeah. It's just like and now I'm imagining that with X going, give it to you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I've also been playing a shit ton of Animal Crossing: New uh-huh. Horizons. Uh, it's so good, Sean. And it's hard to re- like review Animal Crossing for right. obvious reasons. Um, I there were a lot of critics I noticed who had to get very creative, and that was good. Um, but like, 
you know, I've played so I've played for over a week now, and it's great. I think it's probably the best Animal Crossing, at least in the early going, in terms of everything there is to do. Like, Animal Crossing is a weird Nintendo franchise because I don't, you can't really reinvent it and have it still be Animal Crossing. Uh-huh. I don't think you can do Breath of the Wild Animal Crossing, right? Yeah. Um, because if like if you did something crazy like completely change the fishing system where like it shows your lure underwater and it's like Sega bass fishing or something. That wouldn't that would just that wouldn't fit, uh-huh. right? So they kind of all the tweaking they they can do is kind of around the edges, but all that tweaking they've done makes this Animal Crossing feel significantly more playable to me than any of the others. It's not just little things like they've added a nice little tool wheel and they've given you a little more inventory space and stuff, and like you don't like in your home you just have storage, you don't have to like buy a chest to store stuff in, and then when that runs out, buy another chest and then have a whole room of chests downstairs, which is what you would have to do like in the GameCube version mm-hmm. to keep extra shit. Um, so there's little things like that, but I also just feel like um, the way, like the, the amount of money that, and uh, they give you for sort of fruit and and fish and the shells and the different things you get on the island is a little higher and there's more of an incentive to sort of do those basic activities and engage with them every day. The crafting system can be a little annoying when your your weapons break and stuff, but it also just means there's sort of more of a loop going on in the game that feels a lot more satisfying. They've added stuff where you can go visit other islands that are like coded into the game that separate than like multiplayer stuff so you just you buy what's called a nook miles ticket and then you get to go visit some secret island somewhere and get more materials if you want to find that and sometimes you'll get a rare drop where you'll find new fruit there and things like that um on those islands is also where you will meet other characters who are out on that island and then you can invite them to come back to your island and that's how you recruit new residents now Mm -hmm. Um, when you get a new resident, Tom Nook asks you to like literally build their house and build the furniture for it. And so you get to put a little bit of a stamp on how that's all going to go. It's just, there's a lot of, it, it very much feels like kind of on the path from what New Leaf was doing seven years ago with the mayor stuff. But just pushing it enough that like, I would sometimes get frustrated with Animal Crossing where sometimes it would feel like there was so little I could do every day that I would kind of fall off the loop that way. Because you have to check in every day, but maybe only for 20 minutes and then you're mm-hmm. done. Now it feels like I could do a 20-minute check-in on some days, but on some days, if I really do want to kind of veg out and play Animal Crossing for two hours, there's plenty to do. You're not going to, like, run out. And, like, there's there's the whole Nook Miles system, which has is almost like an in-game achievement system that gives you a currency that you can spend on stuff. Um, it's just all of it is so polished. It feels like I'm, I'm way more addicted to this one in the first week than I have been probably since the GameCube. Mm-hmm. Because the GameCube one I played heavily for years as a kid but then i never really got into the ds one i was into the wii one for a month or two and then fell off the 3ds one kind of the same thing who knows we're not a month or two in but i can totally imagine myself coming back to this one pretty regularly and there's a lot of stuff i'm still excited to get to like i haven't even gotten isabel on my island yet and resident services which my brother tells me is when the game kind of fully opens up and it already feels like there's plenty of fun stuff for me to do. So it's great. It's very relaxing. It's a great game to like kick back and watch TV and play Animal Crossing at the same time or something else. It's a great podcast game, obviously. Mm-hmm. You need to listen to a podcast like, th- like this fine podcast and go around catching fish and shit. It's awesome. Uh, the museum uh, is such a cool museum. I have had, when you go in, like, it really is like one of the, it, it's like if they built this in the real world, it would be like the coolest museum in the mm-hmm. world. And I, I have thought, Sean, several times when I've gone and explored the museum, I've gone, oh, this is great. I should totally go to the museum tomorrow. All right. Yeah. 
All right. <laughs> Museums are closed. <laughs> so at least I have the museum in Animal Crossing and Blather is making silly puns. But yeah, it's a really fun game. There's a lot of quirky shit in it. Uh, I love that like the thing everyone wants to farm now to get a lot of bells is tarantulas that show I've up. I've seen under- a lot of that on Twitter and I'm like, why are all these people catching all these fucking tarantulas? What is going on in this weird game? It's so weird because so tarantulas show up at night as kind of a rare insect and you can catch... Not an insect. It's an arachnid. Right. As a rare... Yeah. In the, in the... I just mean like in the category they show them in on Animal Crossing. If you're correct, they are an arachnid. Thank you. And uh, you Let's can... be scientifically accurate on this podcast, yes. please. You catch the arachnid, known as the tarantula, and Thank it gives you, you 8,000 bells. So that's a lot if you get multiple tarantulas. And there's an island that is a really rare island spawn that if you go at night is just full of tarantulas. And so you can like farm them and get uh, like 200,000 bells in one go. Um, but the other funny part is if the tarantula hits you before you hit it, it'll like knock you out and poison you and you wake up in your house. And- I, I feel like they, they are doing a disservice to tarantulas. Tarantulas don't just go around attacking people and knocking them out. Maybe maybe it's your character gets scared yeah. and faints. Okay, yes. Yeah. Fair enough. They are scared. Because the tra- it, now that Animal Crossing is in HD is in HD. Yeah. The trench is like fully like furry and like kind yeah, of Yeah, cuz I, I like cuz I I feel like the way I got exposed to this is I saw people talking about tarantulas in Animal Crossing on Twitter and I was just like that's weird. Um but in my head it was like a cartoonish tarantula and then I actually saw like a clip that someone posted of someone doing on that tarantula island I'm like that's just a fucking tarantula. Like that's kind of terrifying. Yeah, it's like here's this like ridiculous cartoony animal boy, um, and then here's just like yeah, an actual like hairy fucking tarantula spider just there, and it's like you can see all the bristles on its legs and shit. You're like this is fucked up. This is weird. This feels incongruous with the rest of the art style of this game. It it kind of does. It definitely does. They're also just like very big on the on the map when you're going yes. around. It's it's wild. Yeah, I also really love room decorating in this one for whatever reason. I don't know if it's the specific kind of items they give you, if it's the it's much easier to decorate now because you can go into decorating mode and you don't have to physically track every item around the house. Oh god. Um, which is much better. But like I super I love my house as I've made it. It's like super awesome. They just added Tom Nook just added for a for a cool 350,000 bells a back room to my house and I've made that like the toilet room because I kept getting different toilet things. I had a toilet, I had a bidet, I had a really nice bathtub, I had hand towels i had a plunger and so does your character actually have to use the toilet i don't think so but i did see someone tweet about there is some kind of animation i don't know how it activates though i don't know if you have to like eat something and then go sit on the toilet because it's gonna say it's like has animal crossing caught up to dragon quest builders in like you like can use poop as a resource they really should add that in a in a you know nintendo does dlc a lot now and i think that should be the year two dlc is the poop dlc yeah and that's just what they call it yeah here's the poop dlc Yes. Um, and yeah, it's just you can you can poop now and you can use the poop as fertilizer and that's it. Five hundred dollars, yes. please. Oh, oh man, it's uh, but it's great. I I'm very proud of my my weird toilet room. Um, and it's a it's a very good game. It's fun. It's you know it's Animal Crossing, and uh, yeah, the weird thing is now as people point out, especially because that Nintendo Direct didn't have anything on first party Nintendo games. We don't know what or when the next first party Nintendo games. Yeah, which is one of the reasons why I was really surprised when that Nintendo Direct happened because it's like. I thought I thought there was going to be like, and here's the release date for Bayonetta three or like something. Yeah, and it is like, here's a bunch of ports of stuff. I'm like, what are they? What are they doing for the rest of the year? I mean, obviously they, they've got to have. We know they have stuff. Yes, it's Nintendo. I'm, you know, but like, I wonder if it's. I wonder if it's partially a like COVID thing, and mm-hmm. like maybe 
work has slowed in Japan, and so they're just kind of like, let's wait and see how this plays out. But I, I don't know. It's 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 weird. Um, and when we know we know there's like the Pokemon DLC coming. And I think we all think that Breath of the Wild 2 is a candidate for the holiday spot. Yeah, assuming that it's reusing a lot of stuff from that first game, it makes yeah, sense. Yeah, but but who knows? So we will find out, uh, assumedly at some point. I mean, it's everyone's in a weird holding pattern. It's like yeah. Sony, we're like we have a weird amount of information on the PS5. Um, Nintendo, we don't know when the next game is. It's it's a weird time, yeah. but at least Animal Crossing will keep you busy for a while. Sean, let's talk about the the big motherfucker this week. Yeah. Which is Doom Eternal, the sequel to 2016 Doom, which we yes. both loved. The, it's, this game is the BFG right now. It's the big fucking game. Yes. Uh, Doom 2016 was in both of our top fives that year. Yes. Um, I think, was it my number two? It might have been. It was my number four, I think. Yeah, it was, it was up there. Because that was, 2016 was a good year. It was a very good year, yeah. yeah. That, I mean, was that, year. Was, that was the year of Hitman. I remember that Hitman was my game of the year that year. That was your Digimon Story Cyber Sleuth was my game it's of the true. year. true, yes. Which, hey, if you need a recommendation for coronavirus lockdown... Digimon Story Cyber Sleuth is now on Switch and PC in addition yes. to PS4. And Vita. If you, and want, Vita. If you don't yeah. have a Switch but you want some portable game, I mean, you shouldn't be portably gaming because you should be home. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but if you are, you can get that Vita version also. Yes. Uh, but don't go out and buy a Vita because a used game store is probably a really unsafe place to be right now. No, that, that's a filthy, filthy Vita. that you're, you're, You might not get coronavirus, but you're going to get something from that used Vita. Yeah, don't, don't go buy a herpes Vita. Um, but yes, Doom Eternal, not on PlayStation Vita. No, unfortunately. But it is on Xbox, PS4, and PC. Yeah. And we played it. Um, so, Sean, I guess, you know, we gave some first impressions last week. We were very positive on the early levels. Now we have both played the campaign in full. Yeah. Um, I 100% of the campaign. Did you? Yes, yeah. Okay. So I, I played through the whole campaign on Ultraviolence, got all the collectibles and nonsense, like, did all that. I did, like, a couple of extra things because there's some, like, in-game challenges. They call them milestones that you can do. And you, with most of those, you can do with cheats on, um, and that game is very fun to play with infinite ammo because you just, oh yeah, you just melt shit. I um, did a level on infinite ammo because I had missed one collectible, so I went back in and I'm like, oh right, I can just use cheats, and I just used the sword the whole time, uh-huh, and it was yeah. great. Yeah, and then now I'm about halfway through a playthrough on Nightmare, um, which okay. probably tells you how much I'm enjoying playing the game. Yes, so my sense is, so I want to be clear, I like this game, I recommend yeah. it, two thumbs up. But I think you might like it a little more than me. Mm-hmm. So why don't you start? Because I've done a Twitter kind of thread trying to like work my thoughts out. Because I have kind of complicated thoughts on parts of this game. Again, I want to stress overall that's not a dislike of the game. Yeah, which I think is pretty common. Like I think I don't like divisive is probably too strong of a word, but I do feel like this game people ultimately kind of skew one of two ways on it. Broadly speaking, of like either loving it or being like a, that was good, but. Um, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and it feels like you're probably in the that was good, but and I think I'm more in the loving it. We could, but there was like a period in the middle stretch of that game where I think I was a little bit more in that it's good, but um territory. But there's something that like I finished it on ultra violence and I was like, and I was still kind of in a little bit in that headspace of like I really love this game, but uh, there's a couple of like stuff about it I think could be better. And then I went and I played one of the master levels. So you have, if you pre-order the game, you have two master levels you can do. If you haven't pre-ordered it, you only have one. And they're going to like roll out more of these, which are basically remixed versions of levels in the game that are more difficult. Um, and I played both of those on Ultra Violence. I'm like, this game is so much fucking fun when it is like pushing you against the wall and like being very difficult. Like I think the most fun things in the game are the six Slayer Gates um, is the, the best stuff in the whole game. Um, and that was like, okay, I'm going to play Starbling this game again on Nightmare. 
And then I played through the first like four levels in a row um, on Nightmare. And so I was just like, yeah, no, I re- like I think there are things about this game that are that could be better. I think like in particular stuff like the storytelling is way worse than Doom 2016's. I mean, it's not a game you play that much for the story, so it's not a huge impact on me. But it's it's like the storytelling doesn't isn't a plus for me in the way it was in Doom 2016. It's just a thing that's like, yeah, this is fine. I like some of the lore. I appreciate the way they like tie in in like ridiculous ways this like era of Doom with the old era of Doom, and that they basically confirm that this is the same Doom guy that was on Mars in Doom One fighting bullshit there. And eventually he got like time travel, ultimate dimension, whatever the fuck happened, and he ended up in this situation. Um, so some of that stuff is fun with the storytelling, but it never quite a hits that sweet note in terms of pacing and like the light satire that Doom 2016 had. None of that really is present in Doom Eternal's um, story. I think like each level is really satisfying, and there's a nice sense of like every single level is so distinct and unique. But in gaining that, they lose something in the sort of like the simple, straightforward pacing of Doom 2016. Um, Doom 2016 is extremely propulsive. Yes. In a way, Doom Eternal is not, I think. Yeah, Doom Eternal is a game that I like to play a level and then put it down for a little bit and pick it up again um, a little bit later. Um, Although now I I say that, but then when I started playing it on Nightmare, I just kind of went through a lot. Um, although parts of the part of that was also... Even You're probably like, not getting all the collectibles and stuff, right? I am getting oh. the collectibles, but like I can just get them very quickly because I know where everything is. So it's like I'm playing through those levels much, right. much faster, even though it's like a little bit harder. Um, and I'm dying a little... I, I'm probably actually not dying more than I did when I was playing on Ultraviolence because I know all the weapons and stuff now. Um, but yeah, so it's like it has some issues, but it's like such a fascinating game to put up to Doom 2016 because... It reminds me a little bit of, like, the difference between Arkham Asylum and Arkham City in that, like, Doom 2016 is this game that is very streamlined, very focused, um, and and it has, as you said, this, like, propulsive feeling to it that it's so tight of a game. And in all those ways, like, I really love that game. And Doom Eternal loses all those elements by going for this much more kind of, like, maximalist design philosophy, which is more different environments, more, like, different enemy types, all that kind of stuff, and, like really kind of jamming as much as they can to the game. And, like, that includes stuff like the cheat codes and the level select and the fast travel. Like, it is such a fully completed game um, that's just, like, jam-packed with all this um, stuff. And so it loses some of that streamlined nature of Doom 2016, but it gains in what I think is probably, like, the best playing first-person shooter I've ever played. In terms of the raw combat, I think, like, just the raw, like, the pure game feel of Doom Eternal and the like encounter design and things like that and the sound effects like everything that contributes to the feeling of you like popping a sticky grenade from the shotgun on an imp's head like that is the best any game has been at that kind of thing i think maybe ever like it is so utterly superlative in that regard that like a lot of that other stuff that's like, eh, the story could be better. Like, mm, the pacing here and there could definitely be better. Especially on a second playthrough, I think a lot of that stuff just sort of fades away and it becomes this very kind of like pure game playing experience of I am just completely in the zone, 100% focused on what I'm doing and I am, and what I'm doing is splitting demon head, heads open and just going buck fucking wild. And it's a great, it's a great time. It's so much fun. And this is where it gets weird, because I, I don't disagree with anything you're saying. Yeah. I think I agree with all of that. And I do think, like, in a, in a, on a basic level, like, with the number of weapons you have and how 
fully and variably useful they all are and the scenarios they put you in where they really force you to use all of the tools at your disposal and then everything you're talking about just how playable it is i think i agree i, I think you know like my hall of fame is like destiny hey like the bungee ones basically yes, yeah. and i think you and i have said multiple times destiny has been probably the best playing first person shooter yeah. and i think i think doom eternal gives it a run for its money they're it's so different it's a yeah they're hard to totally like... different styles of first person shooter but like i would say in terms of just like raw combat i would give that to doom yeah, eternal i would too and, and i think it's also like a challenge thing of like you know when like so we both have an affection i think for like halo legendary mode yes but halo legendary mode always feels like it's a bit of a prank in some ways of like it's 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 the game you are like you are weakened to a point of ridiculousness in that and and it's like the way that legendary works in halo is you are effectively playing a different game than yeah. someone who's playing it on any other difficulty like the way that like you have to use plasma pistols and stuff like that like you have to be so deliberate in legendary in a way that just doesn't manifest at all in any other difficulty it's a different game experience exactly and, and doom eternal is more like I don't want to. I, I hate breaking out this comparison too much, but it is almost like kind of a little from software, like ball. Like the the challenge is more of the point here, and it's baked into the whole thing in a way that you know you're 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 meant to like die a lot and learn and try again, and you know in ways that I don't think first person shooters first person shooters usually don't integrate challenge as well as I think Doom Eternal does. If that makes sense, I agree. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and actually this is also part of, but this is where I start to, like, my mind is just split a little bit on this game because I wound up playing through most of it on Hurt Me Plenty difficulty. I started on Ultraviolence. I've played Doom 2016 all the way through on Ultraviolence. I've played, I don't think I ever beat it on Nightmare, but I played some of it on Nightmare because I think there were achievements built. You had to play some I think, of it on I Nightmare. think there's like one level you had to yeah. beat on Nightmare. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, I've played Doom 2016 on a hard difficulty, and it, it, I don't know if it wasn't necessarily that this one was too hard for me, but it was that the amount, that the, the size of the challenge mixed with the size of the levels, because some of these levels are very long and very big, yeah. mixed with the sheer number of collectibles and the challenges you have to do in level of like, if I was going through the way I wanted to play this and like 100%ing it and doing all the exploration, I got too fatigued playing it hard to do all that other stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think I probably, I would probably benefit like my love of this game if I went in and did an ultra violence or nightmare run and told myself, you don't have to get everything. Like certainly you don't have to do the three challenges in every level because you've done that. You've gotten the yeah. achievements. Um, you'll be fine. I mean, and, like usually like honestly compared to, cause doom 2016 has that exact same stuff in it. Yeah. Um, and honestly, like, in Doom Eternal, two out of three challenges, you're almost guaranteed to yes, get Yes, exactly. No matter what. Compared to, like, Doom 2016, I actually much prefer the challenges in Eternal because I think 2016 forced you too often to, to do like, your... really, like, change the whole yeah. way you're playing the level in order to get those challenges. And it's a lot of, like, okay, I'm just going to be in this room. I'm just going to, like, do, do kill these things then load the checkpoint and just get this challenge over with over like, yes. right at the beginning of the level so I don't have to think about it I, I, Eternal doesn't have that problem no you're right and I agree on that but it's still it's just it's 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 a number of things they kind of put in your headspace yeah. that take like brain power that that made it kind of tough for me to just focus on the challenge in front of me and that's why I wound up playing it on it's not, it doesn't become an easy game on Hurt Me Plenty. I don't think no. you can make Doom Eternal an easy game. There are some really hard things in this game. Yeah, the game is... And that's like where it's different from something like Halo. That if you're playing it on Nightmare, it is not a fundamentally different experience than yeah. any of the other difficulties. Other than maybe... I haven't, I haven't touched it on the easiest one, so I don't know how easy it gets. But presumably, I think even there, 
it is it is fundamentally the same gameplay experience just with the dials tweaked it's not that the dials are tweaked so hard that you're having to do totally different stuff on nightmare that you were doing on Kermit plenty right you, you might just have to think a little bit more about like you probably don't spam the super shotgun as much because you're going to yes, save yeah. it for yeah but um so that's kind of part, and i think overall that's my issue with it is there's just it's it's this is not an uncommon criticism of the game as you said yeah. there's just so fucking much going on every level kind of feels like a project if you want 100 percent it and you know, Doom 2016 had some of this too, because it has a lot of the same kind of collectibles. I I feel like, and again, it's been a couple of years since I played it to completion, it didn't have quite as much, and the levels were not as long or complex. So, the in general, the levels are longer in Doom Eternal. One thing I do think is fascinating, because it's like a criticism I've seen in a lot of places, is like, there are too many like, upgrade systems and stuff like that in Doom Eternal, it's like... It has the exact same number of upgrade mechanics, and they are the same upgrade mechanics from Doom 2016. The only one that is different is that the health armor and ammo upgrades can also or also have like that extra little ability associated with some of them. That's the only addition, other than like there's a few more armor upgrades. Although even then, there's not that many more. Mostly, it's that they split out the frag grenade and ice grenade to be their own trees yeah. instead of having that be combined. The upgrade mechanics are almost identical from the last game. But I didn't love them in that game either. Yeah. So like it's it's and I think it's also just a kind of an attitudinal thing of like, yes, Doom 2016 had too many upgrades and shit also. This one has, I think, too many upgrades and shit. Plus, it's just like the size of the levels, the 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 maximalism of like the the, the challenge and the the kinds of you know big um phrase they throw you in are just dialed up to eleven from the beginning and you just you're going with that the whole time. I, I don't know if I can even put it into words, except that by the end... And there are some specific, like, design things I don't like that we can talk about later. But, like, for the most part, I it's it's more of a feeling I get from the game's just sense of overwhelming maximalism. And the fact that it doesn't feel quite as, like, perfectly in a line as Doom 2016, even though I think it's better in many other ways... Um, is that I got to the end and I felt kind of exhausted with the game. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Doom 2016, I got to the end and I immediately went back and did a full second playthrough. To, and I got every single trophy. I have a platinum on that. And I kind of was hoping to do that on this one. Um, but then I realized I would have to do a whole new playthrough on the Extra Lives mode to get yeah. the platinum. Yeah, like the, I'm not going to specifically go for the platinum because they also yeah. have some of the multiplayer... The multiplayer is not good in this game. And like, I, don't I haven't touched it at all. I'm like, I'm not interested. Like, I don't care. Yeah, so... So anyway, and I just felt kind of exhausted, like I wanted to move on to other things. And that was so not the feeling I got from Doom 2016, even though by most metrics we judge games by, I think Eternal is the better game. I think it's got better level design. I think it's got better combat design. I think it makes you use better use of the actual like uh, combat uh, tools they've given you. Yeah. There's all sorts of things. The music is better. The graphics are... I mean, the graphics are... We've got to talk about this is... This feels like a next-gen game we got as an early Christmas present. It's yeah, fucking it's crazy. crazy, yeah. Um, there's so many things I like better. Um, it really is... Like, if I were to point to specific things it does worse, it's stuff that, frankly, from a gameplay perspective, doesn't even matter that much, like the story, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and, and me feeling like it's maybe... Like... I do think it's overstuffed with collectibles. Like the fact that you have to remind me if Doom 2016 did this, that you can get way more of all the currencies than you need to 100%. Doom stuff. 2016 does the same thing. The okay. reason why they do that is so that because I I like this because it means that you can for the last few levels of the game there's like two or three levels that you can be fully upgraded for instead of like yeah I got all the upgrades 
time to go into that last boss fight and you never get to use them. Yeah. Um, Doom 2016 did the same thing. But why not do different collectibles and stuff in the levels or like make fewer of them like why am i still going and getting um, so that tokens? way you don't so even if you don't necessarily get absolutely every single collectible you can still get because yeah. part of it is like they put collectibles in the last few levels even though you can't have everything you need by the time you get to that point but if you didn't get everything that means there's some stuff for those players to get i don't like that i don't like that. don't think about those players those players suck I'm kidding, but um, yeah, like, I don't like, know. I didn't like yeah. that. I, like for me, like that's a like I would I would much rather. I think you could they could have had like here's like an extra bonus or something you get if you did absolutely get 100 percent of everything. But I would much rather have the I can play a, like a meaningful chunk of this game have a fully upgraded character yeah. rather than what 90 percent of games do, which is I got all the upgrades and then now I'm done playing the game and I never get to use any of it. Yeah. Um, although I do think like this is where I do think Doom Eternal loses something by having so many upgrades and stuff is that and this is something where I guess Doom Eternal makes me think of it more than Doom 2016 because Doom 2016 we talked about this last week had so many more elements that you just never used like you were never incentivized to use the chainsaw that much or or like the frag grenade hologram and like health sap grenade I forget what it was called like oh I forgot about that there's more like different grenade types in Doom 2016 than are Doom Eternal. Nobody knows that because you never use them. Exactly. And so I think because Doom Eternal is tighter on that, it also makes me see where there is slack because you use so much of what they give you, the parts that you don't use and the upgrades that feel like I don't care about this or like that's such a small thing I'm never going to fucking notice it. That makes me realize those more. And it makes me really want to see a Doom 3 where they just tighten the ship a little bit Mm -hmm. and like really like because it's all in place i feel like there's just some fat on the sides you cut off and make it feel like fully entwined there that this is missing um so even then this is this is the the weird split in my mind is the things i'm describing are things it objectively does better than doom 2016 but i weirdly noticed the flaws probably more than i did in doom 2016 i don't know what that is because like the suit upgrades in doom 2016 are mostly useless like there's a couple and they're ones that shared with doom eternal of like switch weapons faster that are like that's nice um or like things show up on them on the mini map or like the map you can bring up that like the question marks where the secrets are i like that's a good upgrade to get but most of them are just like your grenades recharge a little bit faster it's like great i don't use those anyways like that game has a lot of just like Eh, okay yeah. i guess i'll spend the points on this for like the whole second half yeah whereas doom eternal does have some of those but i feel like it has way more upgrades than that feel like oh this is a meaningful especially playing it on a nightmare and being like oh fuck like right before you get that dash refill upgrade like that is a really meaningful upgrade because it's like oh fuck it's taking forever it's not it's you know it's like half a second or something but it feels like it takes forever for your dash to recharge um like those upgrades are meaningful up till probably like the two-thirds mark where then you're like left with the oh and now it shows you which kinds of collectibles they are instead of just being a question mark like great thanks right that's not something i need i will find it when i i'll know what kind of collectible it is when i pick it up because i'm going for all of them but yeah i mean so this is i i don't know maybe it's just like the time of year i'm playing it maybe it's an attitude thing there are, like I said, specific design things I don't like that I can point to, and we can get to that. Um, but overall, I mean, there's. I also don't want to get too negative because there's a lot of this game that's absolutely fucking incredible. Um, you know, the I I agree that I think the amount of variety they go for does dilute the storytelling a little bit. But I will 100% take that variety because yes. this yeah. is something first-person shooters are just historically bad at. 
is level variety. Yeah. Not not level variety, but like aesthetic variety too. Yes. And and I don't want to say Doom twenty sixteen was bad at it because I did enjoy all the levels, but it doesn't have a ton of variety. No, yeah. You basically have like industrial facility on Mars and you have um hell. hell. And those yeah. are the two environments. And it's like here's a slightly snowy looking industrial facility on Mars, but it like reuses all those kinds of assets, whereas like Doom Eternal has just what feels like a staggering amount of like unique environments, unique things that you're like moving through and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, the so, only other FPS campaign I would name that feels like it has this degree of variety is like Halo 3. Yeah. You know, like like it's ones that make a really concerted effort to like make everything different. I mean, I think it's level 2 or 3 in Doom Eternal you get to a, one of the areas on another planet that just it looks like fucking God of War. Uh-huh. Like like God yeah. of War 2017 or whenever that came out and like and like that, but like Doomified is so cool, and they keep doing things like that, where yeah. it's like it's it's this kind of environment, but Doomified, and it just feels like that that sense of adventure of like getting to see what they're gonna do next. Boy, I haven't had that feeling with a first person shooter in a long time. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it's a very like, I mean, it's not you're going to like different dimensions and shit, but it has a globe hopping style to the levels that yeah. is a lot of fun because yeah, most games go for the very like. Here's like the one kind of set of environments that we have, um, and that creates a nice set of like feeling of flow in those environments. But there's something about this like very, it feels very old school. It's like playing a Sonic the Hedgehog game or Mario game or something. It's like, and now you beat this level and you're in a place that just looks completely fucking different. Yes. It's like, awesome, great. I don't want to be in Green Hill Zone Act 7 or whatever. Or certain portions of original Doom campaigns. Like yeah. not not every original, I've, I've been playing through some of these and not every one of them does this perfectly. There are obviously a lot of reused assets, but some of the original Dooms will totally throw caution to the wind and like you'll yeah. be in a totally different place. Um, like I've, I was playing through the second Doom 1 campaign and like it totally does a bunch of weird shit like that. Uh-huh. And I love that. And yeah, I mean, it does get the feeling like I don't know about you, Sean. I totally felt by the end of this game, it's like they designed these levels and then figured out a story. That's oh, absolutely. so obviously yes. what it feels like. Uh huh. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of yeah. That's it. It definitely feels like a like man. It sure would be cool to be in like a place that looked like this, and it like you know it manufactured power from dead souls. It's like that yes. sounds like an awesome level to build. Probably that'll be somewhere near the end of the game. Yeah, that would make sense. We'll figure it out later. Yeah, I mean because the. The story, I, by the time the game ended, I was like, what was the story? And I had to like put it in together. In my, it's not like it's unclear, but it's just in my head. It's demons are invading Earth. You have to kill the three priests. It's kind of a series of different sort of fetch quests for Doom Guy to find yeah. the things to kill the priests. Then it's, okay, the high priest, the con maker, wants to do this thing. To find the con maker, you're going to have to go here, here, and here. And, the, and so it's very much that patchwork kind of old school video game story. Some of which I find charming, but I actually think the game would have maybe benefited from some of the satire Doom 2016 did. To yeah. Like, if they lampshaded it a little bit, like, it would be funnier to me. Because mm-hmm. I think you could do the jokes about it, and it, it would be a little better. This yeah. game winds up taking itself weirdly seriously. Yeah, I think, like, the... Someone on Twitter, like, described this, and I thought it was, like, this is a good way of thinking about it, is that the game feels, like, the first game feels like RoboCop, and this game feels like the RoboCop Saturday morning cartoon. Like, it, it, <laughs> it's, it's very He-Man in terms of its, like, you know, it's a very, like, gory He-Man, but it has that sort of, like, the way that it's so ridiculous, but taking itself seriously feels like Transformers or something like that, or G.I. Joe. Yeah. Um, and there's a certain amount of, like, fun that is derived from that, but it isn't kind of, it doesn't feel nearly as sharp as that first game did. There's no single moment that characterizes Doomguy in this as well as 
the cut to credits in Doom or to cut to the title in Doom One where he just breaks yeah. the fucking screen uh-huh. while the the dude is talking to you and he's just like I don't want to listen to you break the screen cut to Doom like. That's such, and they do, they have so many moments like that in Doom 2016. Yeah, they definitely aren't as good at the like because they they abandon the like keeping the game almost entirely first person thing, which I think is probably a mistake. I think I would have preferred just as much as I like playing through it on Nightmare. I'm wearing like the classic Doom Marine outfit, and because it's all in engine cutscenes, you yeah. are in whatever you like um, costume you picked. So that's like a lot of fun to see. But I think it would have been stronger if they had just kept it first person almost 100% of the time the way Doom 2016 was because those little moments of first person characterization you get in this game um, are really good like you have that one at the beginning of the level where you go meet Samuel Hayden again and it's just like everyone's scared yeah it's the Doom guy walking around and like all these people with like clipboards like when wearing like lab coats looking up and seeing it's you and just like mouths agape like the clipboard falls on the ground papers everywhere there's like back out of the way there's like one dude with a fucking key card on a lanyard and you just grab the key card and just drag the guy across the floor and use it to open up a door like those little moments are so good and doom 2016 had a lot more of that stuff and this game uses a lot more of that kind of narrative space to to flesh out like lore stuff which is mildly interesting because i like the ridiculous over the top hell lore um and like the angels which is basically what like the con maker and the sentinels are um, but it is it is not as fun to me as just watching Doom like all these other people trying to tell a story and then Doom guy just breaking every single thing in front of him. Um, like the best moment in Doom 2016 with that stuff is I think it's the third or fourth level where um, Samuel Hayden is telling you how important Argent Energy is. It's like the energy crisis on Earth, and I have solved it using Argent Energy. Now you need to very carefully remove this lens, and then Doom Guy just punches the thing in front of him and explodes. He's like, what have you done? You have no idea the cost of what you have just done. And Doom Guy just walks away, and you go and like do that to like three other things and just blow the whole facility up. It's like, this is great. Oh, and I think it's no surprise that probably my favorite Doom Guy moment in this this is when you go back to meet Samuel Hayden yes. and you just he's in the chamber getting like repaired and you just rip him out of it and take his <laughs> half robot body back to your ship that's like the game definitely there's something about the story that clicks into place when they bring Samuel Hayden back yeah. he and the doom guy play off each other very very yeah well. I wish that they had brought him back earlier in the story because it's about the halfway point because I'm, yeah. I'm just about to get into the level where you meet him for the first time so in my good. second playthrough and I think if they had brought Samuel Hayden in earlier, I think it would have, like, focused the story a little bit better. Um, because, yeah, like, they... Samuel Hayden as this, like, weird, mysterious, Optimus Prime-sounding motherfucker that's just, like, waxing poetic about all this stuff while you're just going around and breaking everything and not giving a shit. Like, it's a really weird but very effective, like, comic duo between the two of you. I will say, I was very surprised at how straightforward the ending of this one is. Mm-hmm. Because it's basically, you beat the big Final Sin guy and yeah, it's the over. Yeah, Sin, yeah. And I was, sure, I was just sure Samuel Hayden was up to something and it was going to end with some kind of he's done something bad and either it would be a cliffhanger or, like, a twist on the final boss. And that never happens. And I was yeah. a little surprised. Because I still think that their end game is to have S. Hayden be Satan. Like, I think that's where that's <laughs> heading, right? Yeah. Um, because because he has that kind of attitude towards him. That, like, this, like, deceiver kind of thing. Um, and and I, I think if they're, they make a Doom 3, I think that's the direction that they will go. But, yeah, it would have been nice to have, like, a little something to kind of, like, tease that. Um, because you're right. They do just, like, 
you you blow up the icon of sin, which is all that's which is the last boss from the original Doom Two. So they're like very insistent on you you end the first game fighting the spy the arachno like mastermind or whatever um, from the end of Doom One, and at the end of Doom Two, Doom Doom Eternal, you fight the icon of sin. So I don't know what the last boss is of Doom Three, but I guess they're locked in to do that again also. Well, how many? I mean, one, it could be Doom 64, which is kind of the original Doom 3. Yeah. Might be where they go, because in the canon, they really... They make it very clear that the sequence of Doom 1, 2, 64 is canonical for this Doom guy. Yes, because that whatever the events of Doom 3 happened to, that was a different character. Yeah. Maybe that happened in this universe, but that is not this character. Yeah, so maybe it'll be Doom 64, or Doom... Uh, the new Doom 3 is going to be fucking full of flashlight jokes. You just yes. know there's just going to be fucking everywhere flashlight jokes. This is just yeah, it's just lots of jokes about flashlights and the original mod that was called the duct tape mod, yeah. which is still which is the the best flashlight joke from Doom Three is just naming the the mod the duct tape mod. Um, there's going to be lots of rolls of duct tape in like your room or yes. whatever in the 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 fucking. I actually Doom. I know we're like looking ahead now, but it would be very funny for because Doom Three is more survival horror, is my understanding. Yes, yeah. It would be great to do like a parody of that where they kind of set that up, but Doom Guy will have no part of it, and uh-huh. it's just like smashing through shit instead of doing the careful like going around the corner. That would be that could be a very funny way to like start. Doom 3 2022 or whatever. Yeah, like maybe maybe you start and you think you're playing as Doom Guy and it's just like, man, I'm moving so slow and it's just like, I just feel so weak and, and it's just one of those like video game levels where you're like supposed to die and when you die you just see like Doom Guy's just like boot come into frame like as your like body is on the ground. He grabs and, your gun. Yeah, he grabs your gun and yeah, you're like your yellow key card or whatever and then your like <laughs> viewpoint's just the Doom Guys. Maybe that's what they do. That would be so good. Id, you can have that for free. Yes, please. Take yes. it. Alright, anyway, what were we talking about? We just, this is the thing about this game, though. There's so many good little details around the corners yeah. that are so fun to talk about. Because um, I think we were leaning into this. Can we just talk about the fucking visuals in this game? Yes, yeah. Oh my god. If, if you haven't watched the Digital Foundry breakdown of this game, it's fucking fascinating mm-hmm. because this game is like hugely more ambitious than Doom 2016, but also like way more efficient. Yes. Like it loads faster. It seems to have a lower like it certainly makes my system it doesn't feel like it's kicking into like high gear as much. No, yeah. Um it's just it's it's a smaller download, like all these different things. Um and it runs at this like pretty near solid 60 FPS and it is one of the most gorgeous games ever made. Again, gorgeous kind of a weird thing to use for this game. Yeah. But there are some like genuinely like awe-inspiring like vistas you will see mm-hmm. and just the the fidelity on display and like the scope of vision and the amount of what they're doing this and uh the new god of war are the two games from this generation that feel like next gen games come early yeah where yeah where it's just they do things and you're like how the fuck is this game like this like god of war we talked about this last time we were talking about the ssd stuff yeah but god of war has that like jaw dropping just like mic drop moment of the cutscene that starts at the top of the mountain follows you all the way down the mountain through a portal into another dimension like totally seamlessly and you look at that and like how the fuck did you do this when like every other game is having you like shimmy through little cracks and stuff like that every five seconds um and yeah and this game has just this scope to it with like a scope to it that is the kind of scope you expect from a retro game or an indie game that is like a 2d game that has like that level structure where it's like you it's know, easier to make assets. Yeah, it's so much easier to make assets, and it's like, and it, and you kind of like need to, you know, create the sense of visual differentiation, aesthetic differentiation in your levels. 
And most big budget 3D games just don't have that because um, it's so expensive. And yeah, like that Digital Foundry breakdown is incredible because they got like access to id Tech 7. So they got access to like being able to capture footage of like the tools and how they work and like the decal system and the way that they kind of like take the assets that they did generate and have like really dynamic tools that allow them to make those assets more unique and just like add different elements to it to add more detail and things like that. It's so fascinating and it just like that it makes sense then when you look at that of how you take this game and you you give it this kind of huge breadth because it just is so much more efficient. And it is stuff of like the load times are so much better. That I kept on being like shocked because I I had just replayed through Doom 2016 where the load times are fine, but they are like a thing. And so when you when die, you die, you have to wait. Yeah, when you die in Doom 2016, that's I'm going to check Twitter. I'm going to look. Uh, did I, I think I got a text message? Let me look at that real quick. And I kept on doing that in Doom Eternal and looking up and being like, oh, this game is. I just could have pressed X like 30 seconds ago and just gotten into the game. Um, and it's just like that over and over again of realizing, oh shit, like the it, this game just loads. Um, it is so efficient at loading on restarts that it's just like. It's that thing of like like that like next gen feel of the, somehow they like solved the hard drive problem at least for this game. I mean, I'm sure that like a huge amount of like engineering effort um, and ingenuity had to go into making this game efficient in those ways. But it, it does feel like a fuck. Like this is a preview of what it would feel like to play this game and not have to have the constant load time thing be a problem. It's it it just feels like oh this is like the kind of load time you kind of got a little bit on like the original Xbox or PS2 generation when we first moved to DVDs and it felt like, oh man, we've kind of solved some of that load time bullshit from PS1. Um, and then very quickly we're like, nope, big load times again, big load times. This is like, nope, it's pretty snappy. It's not immediate, but you, you get back in there pretty quick. And also that this is running at 60 FPS. Yes, yeah, have, and have it's you so ever, smooth. Have you ever seen a game that's looking this good and running at 60 on a console? No. It's yeah, unprecedented. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. so it's kind of like when I feel like, you know, when like I see, so my brother has a nice gaming PC and I see him running like Witcher 3 at 60 and my eyes glaze over because I'm like, how does it look that good? What yeah. the fuck? And you would, you would just never imagine running Witcher 3 on those kind of settings on a home console. But this, this feels like I'm looking at a PC version of the game even though it's not. I'm running it on the fucking Xbox One S. Yes. And it's perfect. It's like, how? It's amazing. Yeah, like you're playing, because I'm, you know, playing it on the PS4 Pro, so so I would like, my expectations of performance would be a little bit higher, but the fact that it runs that well on both the original PS4 and the Xbox One S, obviously with like resolution downgrades and stuff like that, but nothing like, no huge cutbacks. And that's tech that is seven years old at this point. Those consoles came out in 2013. Yeah. And it's like, how the fuck, like how the fuck do you go from a lot of those games like, this is that, like, end of console generation moment we're having. This is the, like, Uncharted versus Last of Us kind of thing. Exactly. Where you look at, like, how the fuck do we go from a lot of stuff coming out in 2013 um, that could, like, barely run at 30 frames per second at, like, 900p or 1080p, um, and now we're here? It's crazy. Yeah, because on Xbox One S, I'll just say the really only sacrifice is it's running between 720 and 900p. It doesn't matter. Like it's, yeah. it's. I think if I were running it on like a 4K TV, I would notice it. But if I had a 4K TV, I'd probably be running it on a different system. You know, yeah. um, I'm running it on a 1080p TV. It's totally fine. There's a moments where I'm like, that's a little blurry, but like all the visual effects are there. It's. I think according to Digital Foundry, it has a few more drops, but by and large, it's still 60. 
Yeah. And and they're certainly not with a game this crazy. You don't really notice the drops. I'll say, um, I'm sure they're there, but I don't really see them. It's just it's out of this world to to play it on this system. And 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 like they have that level of performance, and there can be like it feels like significantly more enemies on screen than oh, there was in Doom 2016. It's it's nuts. I mean, even in like the first level, there's ones where I'm like, God, this feels like the end of the game in Doom 2016. Yeah. This is the beginning of the game for Doom 2020. That's wild. Yeah, and like not just that, but some of the enemies are so much more complex graphically. And, and Yeah, and you have a bunch of different enemies on screen at the same time. And yeah. yeah, like some of those, like the last couple of Slayer Gates or those master levels where they just like crank it up to 11. It's just like, and it's still running perfectly at 60 and like it looks great. I mean, obviously part of that for the Slayer Gates, I feel like, is they've created, constructed a very small, tight box so that they can cram as much into it as possible so they're not like wasting anything on it so those i think feel like are it's one of the reasons why those can really go fucking wild because some of those go fucking wild with the number of enemies they throw at you um but it is just like it has this very magical feel to it um that is this like this is just a technically masterful game like that is because the best that this generation has seen in those ways and obviously doom 2016 was very accomplished but i i don't think it felt like an outlier to me the way this does mm-hmm. it felt like this is a very polished current gen game but it looks like a current gen game yeah you know the running at 60 is impressive because so few games even fps's do it at that level but still you know but this one just it's a it's a, a clear step up it is clearly so ambitious but has the actual technical acumen to like build that ambition out yeah how what the fuck are they going to do on the next gen console sean with yeah. that kind of like, it's it's what we asked last week because I think my example was I want to see what the God of War people do. Now it's like, what do they do with like id Tech Eight yeah. on the on the PS Five and the Xbox Series X? Good God, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, yeah. one thing from that Digital Foundry breakdown, one thing that like is probably one of the, they said is like one of the main things they choices made early on that really benefit this game. But it makes me sad because I love this word is that they don't they're not using mega textures anymore. Back, back in the day, I think it was for Rage 1, like, that was a huge thing on whatever version of id Tech it was at the time, is that, like, mega textures, which is, like, this way of sort of, like, compressing and compiling your textures, so that was, like, effectively read as, like, one gigantic texture file to the hard drive, and there's, like, all kind of stuff about, like, why that was better for the 360 and PS3, um, and then that seems to have been, like, a thing that was, like, a really cool innovation for a very specific set of technology that worked really well. And then once we didn't have those limitations anymore, mega texture stuff, like, because if you go, like, look at other Digital Foundry breakdowns, I think specifically was the Wolfenstein, the new order. They talked about how that stuff, like, hurt the game in specific ways. Um, that's like, they, they've finally cut off. No more mega textures. But goddamn, is mega texture not, like, the best video game term since blast processing ever? They might as well just name their engine that. Yes, like to keep yeah. it going. Yeah, because I I just want I just want to be able to say the words mega texture sometimes. I just like it. It sounds good to me. It, it's got a good mouthfeel. Mega texture, absolutely. But you know the the upside of all this is just the the art direction in the game is extraordinary. There's so many different things. I think the one that probably captured my eye most was the. I forget that it's like Necropolis. What's it at the end? The Necro... Um, yeah, let's just call it Necropolis. It's, it's, it's it has that, a more but, specific name, but, yeah. that's, but that is what it is. It's, it's a the, two-part level, and yeah. it's part one and two, and that's where you get the the cages full of human bodies and mm-hmm. stuff. And it's... Because that one is like... 
a really super well done version of the hell levels in Doom 2016, but like taken to a whole other degree. What it specifically reminded me of is I'm like, because uh, Persona 5 does something like that at the end when you go down into like the prison and there's all the people yeah. in the prisons. And I'm like, what if Persona 5 had that art direction? There's just these piles of bodies. But it's like, it's such a wild thing to see. And like the, some of the, the arenas they put you in built around that are so crazy. Those were probably like visually maybe my favorite levels. But there's so much variety. Yeah, because right after that you get... It's like the second to last level is the level that's in like on the Maker Homeworld. Yeah. Which is the only level that's in that environment. And that's one of those where you're like, these people are fucking crazy. Like, it would be like if they only had one hell level in doom 2016 it's like you created all of this stuff for one level you're not reusing any of it like it is just entirely this yeah. one level that's fucking nuts oh it's such a good level yeah um i don't love the boss fight but it's about like the level is so good yeah and it looks so good and like yeah there is this like i, I made the god of war comparison because some of it does have that god of war sense of like Norse sort of style architecture but to this crazy degree that would never exist in the real world yeah that has this like soft like sci-fi kind of quality yeah. to it yeah yeah and and doom obviously doomifying all of that yeah um you man. get that stuff in i think it's the second level where like halfway through the level you go into hell um yeah. and that's where like you you're in like the remains of some ancient battle where you have like like these like rusted old giant mechs um, oh, I have, love that. Yeah, like, like have giant titan demon corpses like impaled on energy spears and shit. And you're going around like activating this giant cannon and blowing the wall open. And it's just like that. It's it's when hell or when doom most sort of powerfully evokes the like heavy metal uh, album cover aesthetic, which I think that level is maybe like the best one or some of the stuff with the icon of sin in the last level. Yeah. You have this like giant towering demon monster destroying the whole city. Like, that's when the game's aesthetic is at its absolute best, is you're just looking at the decayed remains of this ancient war between the demons and the angels, basically, and it's so fucking rad. Oh, it's it's rad as shit, it is heavy metal as shit, and then you've got fucking Mick Gordon yes. tearing shit up under it. I didn't think you could get better than what he did in Doom 2016, and he did. Yeah, it's, it's a better. It's like it's got more variety. It's uh, I noticed just a lot of, like, the sort of low parts where like it's not full intensity are way more interesting in this one mm -hmm. like he's yeah. got a lot of, like there'll be just like an interesting guitar lick going on softly while you're exploring or doing platforming it's a lot of the weird like uh, sounds that are clearly made in a synthesizer with like very odd waveforms and shit that's just it's it's this great mix of music and i was even i was saying this to you sean off the air i had a very hard time finding a good 30 second clip for our theme song this week and that's honestly praise to the game because it doesn't kind of work in the sense of discrete tracks there isn't an official soundtrack out so maybe yeah. it'll be done in such a way when the official soundtrack comes out but it's like it's such a video game soundtrack it is so responsive to what you're doing as a player like even better than what doom 2016 yeah. did the music just feels like an extension of everything you are seeing and doing with the controller and i don't think i've ever seen a game do that kind of thing better yeah and especially since they you know take you to so many different kinds of environments that kind of pushes mccordon to find different places in the music to go for the to match those environments so it's like yeah like it definitely feels like the the game's sort of like environments and stuff stretch him to kind of like come up with more and more different sort of way like how does this like crazy moon based sound to in this like style for doom how does this alternate dimension like angel world how does that sound for doom 
Um, and like, and then again, yeah, all the different ways that it sort of like layers on top of itself, depending on what you're doing, whether you're in combat, out of combat, like the intensity of the combat, all that kind of stuff. Like, I just have to imagine that like the easiest decision made when they decided to um, green light a sequel to Doom 2016 was get McGordon back to do the soundtrack. Like that has been like the first thing. Like, okay, we're going to uh, make a sequel. It's like, okay, should we keep the creative director? And before any of those decisions, someone fucking call McGordon. Make sure that he wants to do, he'll do a sequel to the game. What would be the point of making it without him? Yeah, the the whole identity of this like new era of Doom, I feel like without McGordon's music, it's just not, it's not what it is. It's it's what ties it all together. It's, It's, if you don't have that underlying it, like it gives the energy, it kind of, it, it it strikes the right tone. It tells you kind of what it's going for. It it tells you how to play it. Like there's so much that is embedded in that music in a way that, you know, there are many, many great video game soundtracks, but it just feels like the music is like what you would see if you just laid what you were looking at on a waveform. You yeah. know, it's wild. Yeah, it's it's, it's so perfect. Um, and yeah, I'm excited for whenever they do an official soundtrack release because official soundtrack back to the graphics like they're putting out an art book for this game Hmm. i would have never thought i wanted to buy a doom art book as much as i like doom 2016 and the classic games have cool like like um you know enemy art and stuff right but i would never have thought i would like want to pay 30 bucks for an art book i kind of want the doom eternal art book it's that good that's amazing to me because it's also stuff of like like with the aesthetic quality of it, it um is the enemy design is also great um, because they there's, there's a couple of elements of like one I like that they with a lot of them they kind of went a little bit closer to the sprite art from the original Doom 1 and Doom 2 um, so it's they like read really clearly um, especially like the zombie soldiers that are one of them. the main enemies in the original Doom and they, they weren't really they had like a I think they called them Hellraisers in um, in Doom 2016 that kind of filled the role of the zombie soldier but it wasn't that and it was like I always kind of missed them and then they're back here and it's like yeah like that is that like sprite made into this really gorgeous 3d character model and then and everything with like the arachnatrons um and like the barons of hell and the cyber demons the fucking um uh like pinkies and cacodemons and the pain the ca- oh my god the pain elementals look so good they look Those so creepy motherfuckers like, i have to just give praise to the cacodemons they look yeah. better than ever because i remember them being kind of muddy in doom 2016 yeah. and like when i've been playing through the original doom like they're so they're these bursts of color you get in the middle of doom levels yeah. and they still kind of fill that role and i just there's nothing better than using your fucking meat hook shotgun flying up to a cacodemon and pulling its eye out yes yeah it is yeah in the enemy designed all over the place both like like read designs of like the classic demons are great the new ones also just look fucking rad as shit yep. it's a lot they like feel very like true to the doom aesthetic like i'd be very interested to see someone take stuff like the like whiplash the snake things and stuff like that the new ones they made for this in someone probably has done this i could probably just google this but someone to like make the sprite art like original yeah. doom version of those because i bet you could and make them look pretty good um and yeah so it's like that whole element but then on top of that another tech thing that is really rad is like the deformation the deformation of the bodies so it's like they just like chunks of them blow off when you shoot them in a very like mortal Kombat-esque way that just looks fucking crazy yep. and, it, and it feels it feels very like the mortal Kombat games from like the original xbox um generation where you had more primitive 3d models so it was a little bit easier to just like lop off a big chunk of them and it just like looks ridiculous um and here it's just you're just Especially some of them, like the Hell Knights, that have a lot of 
health. And you're just like, God, dude, just stop. Like, you, you barely have any skin left, dude. Like, you really should just, like, back off and reconsider what you're doing. Because, like, you just... It's a lot of exposed bone and muscle, and it's gross. But it also means that, like, every attack you do has this added impact to it. Because you really clearly visually see the kind of damage you're doing on the enemy. Um, which is both great in, like, a readability in terms of, like, gameplay sense. That's, like, you can tell when you're doing damage. But it also just, like, has this you know, cumulative effect with all the rest of the visuals to, like, really add a huge amount of impact to the way the game looks. Absolutely. Um, oh, man. It's... What was I going to say? The glory kills. Yes. They are... Oh, shit. Because we've, we've... There's nothing we really need to say more about them mechanically. It's the exact same as in the last game, and it is such a good core gameplay loop. But I think they've made the animations even better. And I'm, I'm just amazed you can go through a whole game doing that and not really get tired of it. Mm-hmm. And it's because there's a variety and there's also just such a great kind of tongue-in-cheek pushing it just far enough that it, it's not really... It's gross, but in a like fun way. Yeah, I think the decision to give the Doom Guy um, basically a giant machete that's yes. to his arm, like that was a good choice because it adds just like... That's one of the main things that adds a lot of variety to them um, because there's definitely a lot more and they feel more like creative i guess than the doom 2016 ones and it's like it's because in doom 2016 at a certain point it's like you're seeing like slightly different versions of what were like the exact same glory kill because there's only so many things you could do whereas combining the like the big machete arm thing and just like the normal cracking skulls open all that kind of stuff you did in doom 2016 there's just a greater sense of like visual distinction between them um and yeah they're like they're gory as fuck, um, but they are very satisfying. And, and I'm still seeing new ones um, fairly frequently because there's a lot of just like, you know, if you, you know, you never killed this like relatively rare enemy and do like the glory kill from like the back left side or something. There are lots and lots and lots of them that you're not always going to encounter against some of the rare enemies. So there's still, I've played a lot of this game and I'm still seeing new of them every once in a while. And it's really cool. But I really can't stress enough how much my favorite one is when he pulls their arm breaks it so the bone comes out through the skin and then yeah. pushes the arm so it's the bone stabs them through the head oh it's beautiful yeah. it's so beautiful i i am a big fan like this is a very simple one but i i just draw a huge amount of pleasure from it is is the one on the the main one like just facing them on the front with the whiplash ones where you just like cut them half and then like cut like the top half in half again just like you just slice them into thirds and it's very fast but it's just this really satisfying there's a certain like Looney Tunes, um, like all the pieces are hanging in the air until like looks down kind of yes. effect to it. That is very gratifying, um, especially because those enemies are pains in the fucking ass. I know. So when you kill them, it's just like a, I'm just chopping you into little like sushi bits, motherfucker. It's so good. There's also this is a pretty simple one, but it, and it's on a pretty basic enemy type where you you punch and then you rip their chest open like you're a fucking surgeon, yeah. just opening up their chest and then I think you like rip their heart out. Oh, that one is. Because that's one of the gnarliest ones in terms of, like, hearing the bones cracking yeah. and everything. Man, the sound effects in this game, the whole sound design, it's masterful. But, yeah. Um, do you want to talk about any of the any of the specific guns? I mean, they're mostly from the other Doom games, but yeah. they've been updated. And there's yeah. some really interesting things because going on. Because I think they're all... Yeah, they have, like, it's it's only guns. They didn't add a new gun, which is interesting. Like, like some of the attachments are new, although a lot of them are the same attachments from the... Last one as well. The only like one that I think got a major overhaul is the gun that in Doom 2016 was the Gauss Cannon became the Arbalest um, 
And and they kind of toned... That's the one that probably got the biggest change because they toned it down because the Goss Cannon was so fucking powerful. Because Doom 2016, basically, by the time you get to the second half of that game, you're only really using the Super Shotgun and the Goss Cannon and maybe the Rocket Launcher every once in a while or the Gatling Gun if you want to mix things up a little bit. But that game was so weighed so heavily in those two weapons' favor um, that they kind of... They, they toned both of those down in the sense of the Super Shotgun no longer has the um, ability that Doom 2016 had where um, if you fully leveled up the gun in Doom 2016, you could fire... It basically operated like a normal shotgun. Like, you fired a super shotgun blast, but it only took one shell. So you could fire it twice without having to do the reload animation, which was just ridiculous. It was so powerful. <laughs> um, and here, they don't have that. So the super shotgun uh, like occupies the appropriate place in the weapon environment that it is a super shotgun it is the shotgun but it does a lot more damage but it, you know you can't fire it as quickly and it, you also are more ammo starved so yeah so yeah. so yeah so like using up two shells is a more particularly the first half of the game is a more important decision um but how they compensate for that to then make the super shotgun fun to use is they give it i think the best altifier in the game it's so good that I bet that there are a lot of concepts for, well, what would be another weapon mod we could put on the Super Shotgun? And nobody could come up with anything that, like, anybody would ever pick. That's not the fucking meat hook. Yes. That you just launch it, grapple onto an enemy, and then fly towards them. Or, I mean, this is especially fun to do if you have the um, rune that slows down time if you're pressing L2 in the air. Um, You can shift laterally around. So, especially for some, like, the shield guys, you can hook to them and then grapple around and swing around behind them and come around behind them and shoot them in the back which is very fun to do nice um, i didn't know that yes yeah it's only i only noticed it when i started using it with that slow down rune i'm like oh wait i can kind of move a little bit in the air and you can you can get some distance on them there's the guys around. in the last couple levels who are the i forget what they're called but they're the the like priest things with gold heads that um, you can only yeah, like the 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 maker guys. Yes. Yeah, the maker drones. Yeah, and you can you can only do damage to their head. Yeah, and like they they give but you. When, a... But yeah, but when you pop their heads, they then drop like a shit ton of ammo, yes. which is a very good mechanic. So the main way you're kind of tutorialized to do it, and there's a challenge in that level to kind of teach you is you do is you use the um, assault rifle and you put on the attachment where you zoom in and do the one big powerful shot. Yeah, and you just pop them in the head like that, and you get a headshot. It's great, right? Yes. But I also found, like, okay, I didn't want to do that every time. Because sometimes in the heat of battle, like, you don't have time to, like, stand, aim, all of that. So what I would do is if you meat hook them and go in and do it at the right moment on an upswing, you just blast their head apart by using the meat hook and the super shotgun. Best way to kill those guys. Because you blast them apart, you're flying through, you get a bunch of ammo, and then you turn around and start yeah. messing shit up. It's great. And then especially if you ha- if you fully upgraded the super shotgun, then you get the one, it, it sets them on, on fire. fire. yeah. So, you so then you're just uh, getting armor. armor. Yeah, every yep. time you blow them up, it's just it's like... Yeah, they really, and this is like true across the whole combat spectrum with Doom Eternal, is that they just like found ways to balance the game a lot more effectively than Doom 2016, which was not particularly well balanced, like in comparison with Doom Eternal, Um, but without ever making it so that like whatever it was wasn't fun to use anymore. Um, It just wasn't something that completely overwhelmed every other option you have. Like, I honestly, I found most of the guns more fun than their equivalents in 2016. Yes. Um, I really, like, I think, it might just be because the redesign visually is so good, but the plasma gun, I used, I love the plasma gun in this. I think it's also just quite a bit more powerful. Like, it feels like the plasma rifle in the original Doom, where it's like, it uses up its ammo pretty quickly, but especially on weaker enemies, it just completely fucking shreds them. And especially now they explode when you kill them. If you, like, don't go in for the glory kill, they just fucking pop. That's great, and then it also has the the heat 
uh, release one where yeah. you build up heat and then you I used that all the time it was one of yes. my main go-tos in the game because it really helps with big crowds um, I loved the chain gun a lot the chain gun with the shield attachment yes. was really useful uh-huh. for a lot of big guys um, I think the assault rifle is way better and I like oh my God, both yeah, the, of its attachments I think the the like the standard shotgun and the assault rifle are probably the weapons that got the two biggest improvements because yeah. those are weapons that you just never use um, past the first like two levels as soon as you get like something that's slightly better than them as soon as you get the super shotgun you're never using the original shotgun in Duke 2016 as soon as you get the plasma rifle and then especially the chain gun there's just no reason to ever use that heavy assault rifle um, but in this game one like the weak point mechanic was such a smart addition that gave both that the, the standard shotgun and the assault rifle this whole other role to occupy in the weapon wheel which was for the standard shotgun is the fucking sticky grenades, which I think is the best grenade launcher in any first-person shooter. It is just perfect. It's so satisfying. It's the fucking best. And the precision shot, which was useless in Doom 2016. I don't even know why they had that mod in that game because it's just like, you just would never use it. It occupies this really valuable role of, I need to just destroy the cannon on that thing right now, pull out my assault rifle, like jump in the air, zoom, shoot the thing, and it's like okay, now the switch back to super shotgun to deal more damage. But it is, but like they found really valuable places for both of those guns to occupy. And honestly, I think I probably spend most of my time just on the regular shotgun, running around popping grenades on imps' heads and just watching them explode <laughs> because it's so fucking fun. Yeah, it's it's great. I, I think that weak point thing is interesting because. When it there's a couple of enemies later in the game that I think they do it poorly with, but for most of the ones that you meet, because they're enemies that recur a lot, yeah. And I think it's great that you you can exploit the weak point and like be focused about it if you want, but it's not the only way to kill them. And no, I really yeah. like that. I think that's really key because there's one enemy in the game I hate with the passion of a thousand burning suns, and it's called the Marauder, and we'll talk about it later. And there's one way to fucking kill it, and that's what I hate about it. The other ones like the um what do you the arachnid no what is, is it the arachnatron arachnatron you can do the pop on the head and certainly early in the game i would do that every time yeah there are times though when you have so many enemies on screen and the arachnatron is not there at first but it'll spawn in and then you are running around the map and you're like oh shit arachnatron i don't have the time to like get a beat on it um i'm just gonna pull out my fucking plasma gun and run around it shooting and then i'm gonna release the heat and blow it up yeah, or it's like, this is, I'm just gonna, okay, it's rocket launcher time. Like, it's yes. just like, I'm just gonna lock on, fire, forget, like, you're just dead, move on with my life. There's the big guys with two guns for yeah, hands. Yeah, the mancubuses. Yeah. The mancubuses. Those are, it's great to do the shoot on both of the arms. It's also fun to just throw the meat hook at them, set them on fire, yeah. come at them, and then shoot them in the head. Like, with the super shotgun, if you do it right, you can do it in two shots uh-huh. and blow those guys up. So, I like that there's variety there. Yes, yeah. The, the, especially once you get like the full suite of abilities you have, there are lots of different ways to solve whatever situation you're in the middle of. Um, yeah. Which like, and the one weapon that like I didn't use for a while until I kind of figured out how to use it was the arbalest slash ballista. And I never got to the point of using it much, so I'm curious yeah. to hear what your thoughts so, cause, are. Because at first it was just like because it, it is pretty significantly less powerful than the Gauss Cannon was. Because the Gauss Cannon in Doom 2016 on Ultra Violence would kill Mancubuses in one shot if you did what, like, the basic, like, like, it was called Siege Mode in that game. But, like, the charge-up shot that's not, that you use, like, the weapon mod for, it would just melt almost anything in one or two shots, and it was just fucking ridiculous. Um, so for that game, like, basically all you did was use a separate shotgun for, like, 90% of the enemies, then, like, a big thing like the Mancubus shows up, and you kill it with the Gauss Cannon and move on with your life. Um, in here, it's not powerful enough to do that kind of damage. 
Um, but it does do a lot of damage, and especially once you do the Arbalest um, full upgrade, which allows it to charge, begin its charge um, immediately again if you've landed that shot. So there's like the the rate of fire increases pretty dramatically. That one becomes pretty useful for killing some of like the really powerful enemies in the game. That's a really powerful one for the Marauder. Um, it's also really good on stuff like the Doom Hunter and like when they start throwing what were boss characters in as just like normal enemies you fight. It's really satisfying to just be on the ground, break out the Arbalest, like load up that shot and then fire it and be like dodging laterally with your dashes while like your thing is constantly charging up again and again and again because you're landing each shot. And then it's like three or four shots in the whole like Doom Hunters like thing explodes and you can kind of take care of them. Um, like it, 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 like it took me a while to kind of figure out how to fit it into that, but it is definitely, I think it's almost better suited as the thing, the role that the Goss Cannon filled, which was this is the thing you break out only for the most powerful enemies in the game. Um, you need to do like really high amounts of damage in like one or two attacks, um, but it's not particularly efficient for anything else. And so you don't have to use it for anything else. And it like, I think they could have maybe like crafted the first encounter you have after you get it a little bit better to kind of incentivize you to use it in that way. But once I kind of figured it out, it became like, a, oh, this like fits much more naturally in the scope of what this game's asking me to do with my weapons than it did in Doom 2016, where it just overpowered everything else. Yeah, because I used it a little bit. I never got to the point of fully figuring it out. I'm sure if I played more of the game, I would. Uh, but that was, but I mean, again, it's a big weapon wheel and that's the only gun that yeah. I can say that about. That's pretty good, mm -hmm. you know. I don't. I don't think there's many other games you can say that about. Yeah, if any. So yeah, um, let let's. We've been saying a lot of good things about the game. I'm going to lay my two design criticisms out. Okay. I mean, there's more than two, but the significant ones. Yes. I don't like the bosses in this game. I generally don't like bosses in first-person shooters. I think they're bad. I don't like them here, except for the the last one in the game. The last level is great. I love that. But it's more of just a normal big doom fight. Um, the Marauder makes me want to slit my goddamn wrists. <laughs> So the Marauder is like the big controversial enemy in this game. Lots of people hate him. Like I, he's not my favorite enemy. Like certainly not. Um, but like I don't have a big problem with him. So here's my thing. Yeah, he's, I mean, obviously, lots of enemies recur multiple times in this game. It's, yeah. it's not like you're getting new enemies in every level. But with a lot of those enemies, the process of fighting them is pretty fluid you can do we, we were just describing it like you do not if 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 the mancubus had a the same kind of set phase you kind of had to do with him every time he showed up the game would fucking break because there are so many mancubuses and you would get so bored so fast yeah the marauder like he shows up at least once a level for like the whole last half of the game and sometimes multiple times and at least in my experience with it, it's the exact same goddamn thing every time, which is that you, you can only hit him when he the, the eyes flash green, you get a shot off, and you get another shot off. I, the only gun I could get to work to get that first shot off on him was the super shotgun. So if I don't have super shotgun ammo, I've got to go find ammo. It, he takes forever to kill. He takes at least, you have to go through like five fucking animation cycles with him. You have to clear everyone else out just to have the space to fight him. I I hated it. I didn't like... I thought it was okay as his own boss when he's first introduced. Again, I think the single kind of one-on-one -on -one boss fights in Doom don't work for me really at all. But it was whatever. It was fine. I got through it. When he starts showing up as a normal enemy, it's just... It's so repetitive. It's, it's, it's the only parts of the game's combat that feel like an actual slog to me. Where, like, the game has to slow down. It does not fit in with the normal rhythms. 
I, I just, I hated it. It, it. Honestly, it was a real drag on the last half of the game for me. And if I could point to any one thing that would hold me back from playing through the whole thing again right now, I don't want to fight him. If they put out like a $10 DLC to patch the fucking Marauder out of the game, I would buy it. I yeah. hate the Marauder. Yeah, like I think I think it's fair that like, I think there are a couple of other ways that you can deal with him that's not just the super shotgun, but there's certainly not a lot. Like, like the remote detonated rocket launcher can work um, because you can get it behind him. Same thing with the frag grenades. You can get damage on him because you can get those behind him. Um, because the shield only pops out in the front. Um, but, like, the main strategy for him is eyes flash green. You're, like, you know, you have to maintain your distance and, like, kind of do the little dance with him. His eyes flash, shoot him with the super shotgun. Like, the best strategy that I found was use the super shotgun to knock him out of that attack animation and then quick swap to the ballista um, and just get a normal shot because that does so much damage um, that, like, two or three of those and he's dead. Yeah. Um, so it is definitely like it's that thing of where like I got to the point where like the Marauder fights were interesting to me because it's the only enemy in the game. Well, him in like the Archfile, which is the the guy who like spawns enemies. He's only in like the last two or three levels. Which I liked. I liked yeah. that was a really interesting yeah. thing. Yeah, those did. are the only two enemies in the game that when they show up, you absolutely have to deal with them. And like if you're not trying to kill them immediately, you're trying to create a situation in which you can kill them. Um, because both of those, because the arch file, if you leave him around too long, he's going to spawn more enemies. And while he's on the field, he makes them more powerful. Um, and then with the Marauder, because he's so proactive about going after you and because it's like very difficult to do damage to him without like really just trying to do damage to him, you have to like give him a lot of focus. It means that as soon as they show up, it totally like flips the battle on its head. And I liked that because it meant that there, there's only a handful of battles like that. I think it's like six or seven times the Marauder shows up. There's like maybe four that the Archvile, like the, that guy's very late. But it makes it so that that sort of like last third or so of the game really feels like you're not just doing the same kinds of encounters, right? Like, like you, but you have a lot. But the Marauder is the same. Every time he is, he is. But, but like, because the first couple of times, it's just him. But then they start throwing him in with fights that have other demons as well. And that's how it gets different. At least from my perspective. I guess so. It's but like what you it... have to adjust your... The way you're like moving around and like thinking about the whole battlefield just changes completely as soon as that guy shows up on the field. I guess so. But but if they did it once, that would be interesting. But like, but because of that, it means it's, it's just a normal Doom Arena fight with a Marauder at the end. And you clear everyone out and then you do the Marauder fight... Or, or you can take the Marauder out early on if you can you can get the space for it and do it. Like there's, which I just never could figure that out because there's so many things hitting you at once. Like I don't know, and I, he's got the stupid fucking dog. I just I did not like the Marauder. Yeah, like it, like, on, it honestly it really heavily reminded me of the boss they make you fight five times in Halo Five. Oh, like, that's not fair. It's so bad. It's so, I, mean, I, I genuinely think it's a bad piece of design in this game. I disagree. Okay. I, I I I think I think he is like I think he's easily the most difficult enemy to deal with. Um, but like once I kind of got my head around it, it wasn't a thing that like it, it was like because he fits into the same classes of enemy to me as like the whiplash thing and those guys that like generate the little like energy. Not the guys who have the shield, but the ones that like make them. Um, that like yeah. they are. Enemies that are, like, annoying to deal with, but then being annoying to deal with makes them way more satisfying once you take them out and you get back into the normal, regular flow. But, like, I, but I like... Because the other ones, though, are so much more of the platonic ideal of it for me, which is that they show up, they're annoying, you do want to deal with them right away, but one, you've got a lot of different options on the table for that, 
it kind of breaks it up, you go take care of them, and then you get back into it. It doesn't completely break down the whole thing for this really static, like, what feels like a very scripted fight with him. I feel like it's... I, I feel like... There are there were like there are other things you can do and you can be more active in that fight than maybe how you're approaching it because I wouldn't I wouldn't say that it feels like scripted to me. It feels yeah it feels very scripted to me, mm-hmm. and it feels like a real drag on the game. Especially and like he shows up like three times in the last level. It's it's I, so I, much. I think like maybe uh, I I don't remember how many times he shows up. Okay, yeah. it's at least two because he's on the roof and then he's in the later one of the big ones inside like the mall. Here yeah, in. Um, and I think there might be one more, but it's at least two. And it's too many. Uh, I hate the Marauder. But that's okay. What do you think about boss fights in general? Um, I'm generally fine with them. I think the only one that, like, I didn't love... Like, I didn't, like, hate it either was, like... I think, like, the Icon of Sin fight, I think, was, like, a little bit much. Just in terms of... The the only thing I had with that fight that I didn't love was, like... Some of his attacks just caused so much, like, screen shake and shit like that going on. That it was just, like, annoying because I was trying to deal with stuff. And, like, everything was going so crazy that I'm, like... Okay... Like, it's fine that he has, like, giant meteors and shit like that, but, like, pull back a little bit just so I can, like, I can see what I'm doing. That was the only time that, like, the boss fights annoyed me. Generally, I didn't find them, like, they're not, like, my favorite part. I think I liked them more or less more than Doom 2016 because they felt a little bit more distinctive. Like, none of them were as kind of, like, tedious to me as the Cyber Demon fight in Doom 2016 that you do. Um... Because they they feel a little bit more kind of unique, I guess. Um, like the I like the gladiator was the one that like I enjoyed that fight quite a bit. Oh, that one he's got the giant shield. Yeah, yeah the guy with the huge shield, and you destroy a shield, and then he goes yeah. fuck wild. Yeah, I probably I think I liked that one the most in this game. I mean, I I actually really did like the icon of sin at the end. I like that it's just this giant fucking crazy doom fight with this big guy who you have to shoot, and it's like there's not some dumb special like series of events you have to go through to get to hit him it's just you're firing at him you're getting the different pieces off the animation's really cool it feels like the end of the world they give you lots of stuff on the map so you can be using the sword and all your different shit i liked the icon of sin fight a lot um i really didn't like the con maker fight i I didn't have a problem with that one i feel like i just sort of like here's like a, a pro tip for doom eternal um is the fully upgraded micro missiles are ridiculously powerful. Oh yeah, no. So yeah, so it's like I felt like I just—it's just long and repetitive to me. It's I mean, got I, like five health. You have to do it like six times. Yeah, but like if you I, the if just a full round of micro missiles just like melts that shield and you just go okay. up and like I, I I went through that one pretty quick. Yeah, so I just like that one. Just it didn't even make much of an impression on me. I think parts of it, like I just was like well suited for that fight because also that's where you have a bunch of those like maker drones on the field so you just like replenish ammo really really quickly if you're doing it yeah i i just i don't know there's something about i i generally feel this way in first person shooters that i think boss fights are a bad idea i think they 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 i just don't think like that style gameplay is well suited to them i think i generally agree like i and and i think it's like i think they're better than most like compared to oh absolutely say like doom 2016 which has like one boss fight that i like that has like a couple that i'm like "Eh, this is whatever um, but certainly there's nothing that's like, it's not like Half-Life 1 that has just like the end of Half-Life 1 fucking sucks. Um, it's, it's not there. I never had like a boss fight that I'm like, oh, this sucks. It's like, this isn't as fun as doing the normal kind of combat in this game. Yeah. It's just, and I guess that's my feeling is that if there's a part where it's like, all right, well, I'm going to get through this to get back to the stuff I like. Just cut those parts. I don't yeah. want them in there. Um, should we talk about the, the Fortress of Doom? Yes. Which is awesome. The ridiculous I, fucking hub world. Yeah. I think, honestly, I do wish there was more stuff in there. Like, like with all the different um, 
extra upgrades you get in the in the last half of the game that you just can't spend money on, like the Praetor tokens. Yeah. There should be like a fucking slot machine where you get extra music or toys or something. Yeah, some bullshit, yeah. Because, and I know you're not in the Fortress of Doom a lot in the end, but you go back there at the end. How cool would it be if like, like what do I do with these 11 Praetor tokens? Oh, fuck, the Doom guy got a slot machine or something crazy. Like, like that could have been really cool and I was yeah. disappointed there wasn't. But I love that it is this giant crazy ship that you go around and you get some extra upgrades in. And you display your vinyls on the wall, and you put all your toys on your fucking dash. It's great. Yeah, the the Doom guy has like a throne that he reads like gaming magazines, and it's just like a very ridiculous, like all like fourth wall breaking, weird hub that like it makes it feel that like I'm curious what their like ongoing plans are for Doom Eternal because like obviously they have like the multiplayer mode that I I don't really care for, um, but they do have stuff like like these ongoing challenges that they cycle they can cycle in and out. They have um, these master levels that they're going to start putting in. I wonder if part of their plan is to eventually, and I hope this is, would be the case, that they add more like single-player style content that remixes things more heavily and stuff like that. To like, I think they've said that what's the paid DLC is, yeah. right? Maybe, yeah. I have not looked up okay. a lot of that stuff. Cause it just because that's like what the Fortress of Doom feels like it's like yeah. situated for. is like a fun place to come back to and like there's a couple of secrets in there and stuff in between levels. But it just feels like this comfortable like... Here's this hub where you can go in, do your mission select, do your master levels, do whatever you want. Um, and it all kind of like lives in this in-game environment. And it's not just on a random menu. Um, and that, I think, is just like a fun... It's a fun way to house all that different kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, they've said it's two single-player expansions. Okay. Is what's in like the season pass. Um, and then they're also going to have everything you said. Um but yeah, it's, it sounds like like they've said specifically, you know, all the DLC, paid DLC for the original was multiplayer stuff. Nobody mm. wanted that. Everyone no. asked for more campaign stuff. It sounds like that's what they're giving. Like, I just saw one of the main lead development leads saying that, basically. So that's good. Yeah. I, I do it. So I've played a little bit of battle mode. It kind of baffles me. There's one multiplayer mode in the game. It's battle mode. And it is an asynchronous um, sort of multi, uh, two-on-one multiplayer where it's not really asynchronous, but it's... Um, you so so you either play as the doom guy on your own team or you play with a partner as a demon and you can like pick different demons and then um if you're the demons you're trying to kill the doom guy and if you're the doom guy you're trying to kill the two demons there there are specific levels kind of based on places from the game but they're specific like little arenas and there are other like computer controlled demons and you can go around and do your glory kills and normal stuff but it's a little different and then, of course, you have to kill the two big demons, or if you're the demons, you kill the Doom guy. It's kind of cool to get to play as the demons, mm-hmm. but I just, it's it's a lot to hang, like, that, like that's, that's the mode. Like, that's uh-huh. it. And there's, like, ten achievements for it. It's very bizarre to me. I, I don't know why, because I actually kind of liked the multiplayer in the original. I don't think it's great, but I felt like it was a solid foundation to build on. And it's just, there's none of that. There's no yeah, competitive... I mean, yeah, because the original game was just like a very standard generic yeah. style, like deathmatch, team deathmatch, castle yeah. flags sort of stuff. But there's no deathmatch in this at all. There's there's just this one mode, and and I don't... I, I guess I feel like, why do it? I, I it's, it's kind of like, why is it in there at all? If uh-huh. it, it's, it feels kind of... I don't want to say half-assed. There is some cool stuff about it, but I, it's not like... I played it a little bit, and I'm like, this is not something I would come back to and play regularly. Yeah, um, I haven't touched it, because I just yeah. don't really care. Because there were multiplayer achievements in the original, and I played enough to get the platinum, and I enjoyed my time with it. I, don't, I didn't go back and play a ton, but it was like yeah. that's fine. Um, so who knows? I, I'm a little confused by it. 
Yeah, I mean, like, one of the things is... So, the multiplayer to Doom 2016 was not actually made by id. That was made by Saber Interactive. Yeah. So they, like, did a lot of stuff on, like, Halo map packs and stuff like that. I know that in Doom Eternal, they didn't want to do that again. They wanted to, like, try to make some multiplayer thing in-house. And that's probably one of the reasons why it's, like, pared down. Yeah. That's that only... That one mode thing is like, well, let's try to come up with a multiplayer thing we could do. Um, like, I, I'm... My guess of why it exists is just, like, as another, like, way to kind of, like try to make it an ongoing service kind of thing right. to incentivize DLC and all that kind of stuff. No, it's so, a first-person yeah. shooter. First-person shooters, by law, have to have a multiplayer mode. Yeah. It's weird, but that's how it goes. I guess Wolfenstein didn't do it. No, Wolfenstein did not do it. Yeah, yeah. so good for Wolfenstein. But anyway, it's fine. Like, it's not a drag on the game. It yeah, like the, the single-player is more than enough to justify the cost of the game. Yes. Like, it is a fully featured, like, luscious fucking big yeah. single-player campaign. It's a long, too. I mean, it's yeah. a long first-person shooter campaign. Yeah. Um, not to, I don't just mean in terms of levels, although there are a lot of levels, but just it takes a while to play. It's probably, like, 20 hours to beat, maybe more. I mean, it depends on how you played it. Yeah, it depends, yeah, like, on difficulties, yeah. stuff like that. But yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what else to say about Doom Eternal here at the end? I, You know, I it's kind fun. of... It's very fun. I think I would kind of compare it to... Different sort of movies... For me, I would compare it to different movie sequels I like that I think have maybe storytelling problems or, or some kind of cohesion issues. Like, I, this is in my head because I'm watching through these movies again, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, where like, okay, they went too big, there's too much in here, but good God, the direction is so virtuoso, there's so many fun sequences, I can't dislike it. Doom Eternal does not have that depth of problems, right. but it reminds me of kind of like the Hollywood sequel that goes a little too big... But you also respect the ambition. That's kind of how I feel about Doom Eternal. Yeah. But I also want to recognize that the core of it is so ridiculously good that um, it's never going to get to the point where, like, I would say, don't play this game. If if I mean, if you don't like shooters, don't play this game. This would convince yeah. you. But if this is at all in your wheelhouse, it's an obvious must, must, must play. Yeah, I think one thing that's interesting about it, and we talked about this some last week, is. I like that this game feels like it is its own game. It does, like... And, like, I wish it was called Doom 2 Hell on Earth because I think that joke is very funny. Yeah. But I think it's actually, in many ways, appropriate that it's not called Doom 2 because it doesn't... It is not a, like, here's a level pack for the original Doom, which is basically what Doom 2 was, with, like, a couple of new enemies, new levels, a new weapon, um, but, like, n no big extreme changes. That's not what this game is at all. Like, this is one of those sequels where, like... I think it's unlikely that if you didn't like Doom 2016 that you would come like be like, oh, but Doom Eternal is really great. But I think I can imagine that person. I can absolutely imagine someone who wasn't totally sold on Doom 2016 that didn't necessarily, was not absolutely in love with the combat model in that game that then plays Doom Eternal and falls in love with it. I think that those people exist um, because the game is different enough. It's like objective and self-identity is distinct enough, which I think is for me like what... I actually want like if this game had come out in 2018 I think I would have wanted the like here's the Doom 1.5 couple new weapons new enemy types a new campaign find out what's happening with Samuel Hayden and go go with it um but the fact that this game took like four years to get out here it is like way more interesting and satisfying to me to kind of feel like Doom Eternal and Doom 2016 are really closely related games but they ultimately occupy different spots in my head um and they kind of exist alongside each other like not with one like dominating the other or anything like that they are just like these are two kind of like brother games in a way um that kind of exist in this sphere but they each are very much their own thing and i think that's pretty rad i completely agree i, I like 
that like I was surprised by how different it is. It takes yeah. a little bit of adjustment. It you know it, like narratively it does not follow up. Like Doom twenty sixteen actually has this kind of funny cliffhanger where Hayden pushes you into through a port like that. It does, doesn't yeah. follow up on that. It you I don't think you have to have played Doom twenty sixteen to enjoy this one. No, it'll it'll help onboard you a little bit for like the style. But other than that, you don't have to. I mean, yeah. you should because it's a good game. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, no, I like that about it too. And and I even. I think the title is kind of dumb, but I also like that it it's sort of its own standalone title. You know, yeah. Doom Eternal sounds, it seems good. Mm-hmm. I see why they didn't call it Doom. I mean, calling it Doom 2 would have been confusing for one. Yes. Because it's already confusing. And calling it Doom 2 Hell on Earth would have been especially hard to Google. Yes. It's like, not only is the title the same, the subtitle is the same. same. Yes. Can't wait for Doom 3. Or maybe they just call the next one Doom 64 and just really fuck with everyone. Yeah, Doom 65. It's the yeah. sequel to Doom 64 we've been waiting for the, our whole lives. Yep, um, you know, and we're new. Doom's in a good place right now because yeah. literally every game in the franchise is easily accessible on soon to be all consoles. Because Doom Eternal, Sean, it's easy to forget, is also coming to Switch. Is it really? Yeah. Wow. They I knew Doom twenty sixteen came out. I didn't know that they were planning on that with Eternal. They announced it when Doom Eternal was announced. It was announced. It's been delayed. Um, if they had to like outright cancel it, I guess it wouldn't surprise me. But they've committed to it. You can go pre-order it. Um, I don't have any idea how that will work. No. But yeah. um, I would be, you know, it was impressive that Doom 2016 and Wolfenstein 2 came out. It's certainly not impossible that Doom Eternal will come out. Yeah. Um, I'd be interested to see if it, but that's what the plan. it could commit to in terms of frame rate and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, it's the Doom 2016 did 30 and pretty much it held 30. It just, it looks blurry. Um, yeah. I, I don't think, again, I don't There's think some stuff in this game. Like, I'm normally not like a, like, you know, frame rate is like yeah. the most important thing to me um it's like i like a high frame rate is good but it's not like the end all be all for me there is legitimately stuff in this game that i don't know if i would be able to do in I, yeah. in less than 60 frames per second because it is so like much more so than doom 2016 it is a very physically demanding game of the player in terms of like controller input but yeah i but i like that that id and bethesda have committed like doom doom 2 doom 3 doom 64 doom and doom eternal are on all the major consoles yep. Most of those, all the classic ones, are really fair priced, like $10 or less. I mean, yeah. Doom and Doom 2 and Doom 64 are all $5. That's nuts. That's a great deal for yeah. any of those games. And for people who heard, like, you know, how kind of a mess a lot of those ports were at launch with Doom and Doom 2, like, they are really good now. Like, They're so like, good. Bethesda and Slash Id went back and did a couple of big patches. Yeah. Um, they are, like, it, you know, for me, like, the gold standard is Doom on um, XBLA from the 360 generation, because that's how the main way I played it. Yeah. Like, the game... Since Doom doesn't have vertical aiming, I like actually much prefer it on a controller based on compared to a keyboard or like playing Doom with a mouse is like wrong because it was not designed to be played with a mouse. Um, so like that was my preferred way to play the game, and then now I put quite a bit of time into the PS4 version, and that is a great fucking port of Doom. Great port of Doom. Doom 64 is one of the best HD remasters of an N64 game I've seen. Like, it makes me salivate for other N64 games in, like, nice HD widescreen, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a good time to be a Doom fan. If you are at home and fresh, if you're reading the news and being like, what did Trump say about letting everyone in Michigan die? Okay, I'm going to go kill some demons. Yeah, Let me if, pick if, a Doom if, game. Yeah, if you're frustrated by not being able to kill the demons of our society, you can at least kill the little demons of hell in your Doom game of choice. Yes. Uh, at some point, we're going to have to play through all of them and do some kind of Doom episode, yeah, I feel like. Sure. But, but we shall. That, that'll be down the road. All right. Sean, anything else to say to the folks this week? I like Doom. Doom is good. I like Doom. I'm very eager to get back and finish my Nightmare playthrough because it it is 
Once you get into the flow, this game is very addicting. I am uh, excited to get through my nightmare playthrough of Resident Evil 2. That's not a reference to difficulty. That game is just a nightmare. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm excited for that. I'm excited to play more Animal Crossing. Got to get them bells. Uh, yeah, and we'll be back next week with, um, I'm sure, some news and stuff. But also will be our next Weekly Suit Gundam on Mobile Fighter G Gundam. Lots of good stuff coming your way. Yes, very good. And I'll just be patiently awaiting the major Doom game they have not ported yet. Which is, of course, everybody's beloved Doom RPG. Which is a real game. I played it on my cell phone. It's good.